0: Welcome to the Bag Drop. Professor, how are we doing? You're excited today. What's got you with so oh, much? Of course I'm excited. There's spring in the air. Can you feel it out there? The, the, the flowers are budding, Kevin. The birds are chirping. I'm you're ready quick, to play some golf, man. I'll obviously. say
1: you're ready to play some golf. You obviously do not live in
0: the south um, <laughs> by your energy <laughs> level right now. Uh it's so true. You've been you've, you've had this feeling for quite a while, but spring spring meeting week too we're going to sweetens i mean any, any week you get to pack up and go to sweetens yeah i'm already figuring out how i can cancel
1: all of my thursday meetings and get up there get up there a day early i do this every time thursday morning is booked like let's get stuff out of the way then like tuesday hits i'm like yeah can i cancel all these and just hit the road thursday morning and go play golf
0: what is your ideal departure time? So, and, and we'll get into it in this episode because we're talking about uh, Matt Adamski, the general manager of Sweetens Cove, is our guest today. Uh, so if you don't know Matt, he is filled with all kinds of insights in the golf world and some hot takes from here occasionally. But uh love chatting with Matt. That'll be a blast. And uh, and two, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about just the overall experience at Sweetens. So I uh, your best Departure time, how do you do it? Like you, it's almost like a spiritual experience to you, I think, when you go to Sweetens. but.
1: Ah, let's see, like my standard approach. Well, one, I have the complication of Atlanta in the middle of me and Sweetens. So I have to always plan around Atlanta traffic. But so what that means is about a 5 a.m. departure. So 5 a.m., hit the road, I pick up the hour, the time zone change benefits me on the way there. I'm at the Waffle House right on the South Pittsburgh exit. I'm right there at about say 6:45, 7 a.m. um Sweetens
0: Cove time. Smash down some breakfast to the course by 7:30, 745. I, I've done this with you, and we're recording early for those that don't know the magic of podcasting. It's the Master's Week. It, and I have done this kind of drive with you. And honestly, the excitement of a Sweetens morning, uh is quite similar for me maybe because it's a similar region of the country but it's quite similar to me that at the times that i've gone to the masters and been like you're up early doesn't matter how many hours of sleep you got you're just in you know re- invigorated with with excitement and then that whole waffle house <laughs> like experience too which as for a northerner that's in itself kind of a bucket list thing you gotta go experience a waffle house if you don't have them up north but um yeah, you get this the way that you and and many of the other uh, Sweetens Cove OG, you know, early members, you guys just, just it's it's like going to church. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like a, a a
1: light is shining a beacon for me the whole drive up, right? Like, doesn't matter. There, there is no being tired. You're pumped. You're ready. Carries you through the, for me, two and a half hour, two, five, 45 drive.
0: My my excitement got the best of me. I jumped over a lot of things. a factoid we we have a nice stretch of educating our listeners on uh, on factoids from the professor. You got anything for us today?
1: i got I got a small one. I think everybody's probably figured out this year's been the year of health for me, and this one relates to that. It also relates to that early morning sweetened drive if you need a little extra adrenaline. Cold water exposure. Um, huge thing. you You probably hear some other people talk about it. but Being on the cold water exposure, I'm not going to go on and on about why you do it in the morning. And, you know, there's two main reasons. You can either lose like white fat or, yeah, white fat by doing that um, with one method, or you can use it for like stress reduction and just stress management um, and adrenaline and and creating adrenaline and putting your body in a cycle. That's the other method. But I'm going to relate it to golf here. So you want to cool yourself off? Let's say, you know, I lived out in Phoenix for a while. the middle of summer, how do you cool yourself off? They give you these cold towels and you think like, oh, dip my hat in the water and put it on my head or just rub myself with the cold towels. Not always the best approach. Um, For example, some people think, oh, if I get overheated, do a polar plunge or jump in cold water. What you actually do in a lot of those cases, you warm up your body. Your body has a natural reaction to the cold water and says, I need to get warmer. So you gotta be really, really careful about where you put cold water um, if you're trying to manage your temperature. Uh, specifically, and this was actually told to me in like 2006 by a person at TPC, um, Scottsdale, and I didn't believe them then, but now actually reading about it and all that, it's like, yeah, this is true. Like, put it on your wrist, like little cold towels right on your wrist. Um, actually, your feet, like the bottom of your feet or your fingers. And then possibly back of the neck, but you got to be careful. You don't want to get it like too much on your shoulders and those sorts of areas. So it's really where the blood's basically right at the skin. So you just want to get the blood temperature down a little bit. You don't want the whole body to feel cold because that'll make your body try to warm itself back up to counteract that. So just those little sensitive areas, that's what you want to do to cool
0: off when uh, that summer weather comes. Uh, There's kind of t- very timely because months ago you had shared some, you know, Kevin and I talk all the time, even off the podcast, and you were talking about this, and it got me thinking when uh, we were college golfers together at the University of Akron, I actually, I, I had such a hard time starting my rounds, and it wasn't like so, a, yeah, it was a mental thing. It was a mental thing. You, do you know what story I'm telling? <laughs> I don't know what story uh, well, you're the, telling, but I know you always struggled to start your rounds. Yeah, well, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> The listeners don't know that Kevin. You don't have to share that. So I was struggling. <laughs> Press to- Press them on the first st- hole. <laughs> the listener doesn't need to hear that. Uh, I started uh, uh, taking cold showers to get my ass like like going because it just snaps you out. You know, there's a mental yep. side to it of of just like. And I think the, the the more I've I've you know gone into some of the things that you've shared around cold exposure that there's like a mental resilience that you build by standing in a cold shower or a cold bucket. And and I think that's what I was trying to, to get. I was waking myself up, of course, but there was also this like, little layer of toughness i was trying to get for my competitive golf rounds that i lacked because scoring average i mean we played 36 holes in college my my second round scoring average was legit 8 shots better than my first it was something crazy and so so i just needed to get going and and uh coaches matter in life man and and this man had had has done plenty of good things for players i'm sure but for me he i came down one day and Mentioned I'm taking cold showers before the round. And these are like rounds in West Virginia in the spring. It's like 40 degrees out. And he kind of like laid into me, thought it was the dumbest idea ever. And now all this cold exposure research that you're sending me, I feel I feel vindicated. I feel like I was onto something. I, I could have been soaring to the PGA Tour if I just would have stuck with cold showers before my rounds. I really feel like that was something, but I'm back to it. I want to tell you that. That's what the whole point of the story. I, I am doing it again And some of the research that you shared with me is I had a misunderstanding about you have to like really grind it out, but you can do uh, uh, a minute, you know, no more. I I think I think the research you sent was like 11 minutes a week is Mm -hmm. kind of anything more or less. It it, you should shoot for 11 minutes a week of cold exposure or or dedicated cold exposure. And so I'm I'm doing that. I'm doing that, and and then I finish off with with a. a, a, you know, warm shower, normal shower, but man, I'm a big believer in this now. Like I, I it's better than a cup of coffee. It, it, it gets my, uh, uh, resilience levels up. It, you can handle stress better mm. throughout the day. So anybody that, that has kind of dabbled in this, I encourage them to give it a, give it a try. Yeah. My anxiety level with work has been way down this year, almost non-existent from since I started doing that. So. Yeah. There's something, chemically that that just just happens and you actually experience what after a couple days of doing it you actually experience it before you even get in the shower like you're Mm -hmm. mentally preparing for that cold and you can also i don't know if it's endorphins or uh, what is it It, what's the actual it's release i mean
1: yeah um epinephrine is the adrenaline kick you get right epinephrine depending on where what part of the body comes it's epinephrine and i forget the other one if it's brain or body that it's coming from um, and you can actually change your sleep cycle this way too. This is a great trick for jet lag or just getting up earlier by doing the cold shower. Your body will naturally get in a thing where 30 minutes before when it's used to you doing a cold shower, I want to start waking up and be prepared for that. So it's also a great, a great trick for jet lag, um, is using a cold shower to start resetting your, it's all resetting your body. Your circadian rhythm is what it all
0: comes down to is what you're trying to do. There you go, folks. There's our there's our factoid. Well, thank you for sharing that, Kevin, with me and our listener. Um, we got a phone one today. We got Matt Adamski coming on. Uh, you won't be available for the interview, so I'll, I'll be doing the honor. But uh, prelude, we wanted to kind of talk about, the one thing I found fascinating about Matt is, you know, he, he's, uh, his career has been with the PGA of America, or he came through the PGA programs, and he's worked at some really, uh, High-end, fantastic private clubs. I think he he probably had some stints elsewhere too, and then uh, uh, was a PGA, you know, director of golf uh, at places like NCR in Dayton, Ohio, uh, Detroit Golf Club, Great Donald Ross <clears throat> in in Detroit, and and he he chose this path of general manager of this, you know, nine-hole. Uh, Freak of Nature called Sweetens Cove, and it was just a very different path. And I've, I think I've always uh, enjoyed my conversations with him because he has this kind of contrast of uh, a creative reconstruction of what golf is over at sweetens, but then also working within the systems, uh, the the structure that, that does exist and what we all kind of experience 98% of the time in American golf, which is, you know, uh, heavily impacted by, uh, the PGA, the professional golf association, those members who, who fulfill that experience and that service. So I think today's conversation, it was going to be a little bit about you. I wanted to kind of get, you know, your, um, Take on that on the PGA profession and how it relates to uh, our experience as golfers, and then take that into an interview with Matt and kind of hear the other side of it. Of what did it take to fulfill both? To fulfill the you know standard country club uh, uh, experience and and what that way of life is like for a PGA professional, all the way to you know how is Matt's life now at a place like Sweetens Cove, which is so different from. A uh, uh, job perspective, you know, so different from a uh, the experience that they're trying to fulfill versus a Detroit golf club or an NCR or, or what have you. So that's kind of the the arc of the show for those that are, are listening. That's where we're going to head. But I'm going to start, Kevin, with with you. What what is your expectations of a PGA professional?
1: That's a. It's a hard question because my expectation in the current moment, or my ideal expectation, is where my brain goes in two different tracks, right? Like, I have my expectation right now. If I walk up to say the standard country club and what I would expect the PGA, um, their head pro, director of golf, whatever the title is, you know, the different roles they might play and they, they might contribute versus like, okay, what what should they do and what or not maybe every one of them, but like, what are some of the aspects that they could that country clubs could do better and they could play a role in. Right. Um, so yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I'd start with experience, right? What? And I think this, this, uh, that embraces the flexibility I was trying to capture there and backtrack a little bit quickly rather than saying something real definitive and generalized. Well, like their job, they should be given the opportunity to directly influence the experience of the golfer on the grounds. Right. And they should have I think the expectation should be they have pretty good control of that to dictate that experience and the ethos of the club. And what if it's a member, if it's a guest, if it's a public course and it's just a pay by day player coming, what is that from the moment that player gets on the ground grounds to the moment they get off the grounds? What do they experience? What are the opportunities that are available to them? I think at the most general level, that's the power that should exist within the PGA professional in whatever role they are, if it's a country club, municipal, whatever it is. I think that they should be the major player in that.
0: Yeah, I have here a um, sample head golf professional job description from the PGA <clears throat> PGA.org's website. And I, I almost wanted to kind of run through this, if you will, before – like. Please to, to help our conversation. It's it's, it's long. It's humor, so humor, long. Humor me,
1: and I will, I'm sure I will have a reaction to the. I, I have not read hey, this ever, um, so I'm very. Uh, I'm excited to excited I, and we, scared to hear what's all in it.
0: the The whole podcast would be reading this thing. I mean, we're we're looking at four pages. I wow. think that in itself is very telling of, you know, if, you're, if your job description is four pages, isn't that more than one job? Isn't, or isn't that, you know, and, and this is a sample too. I'm sure they, they provide this as a resource for people to edit, right? So I don't want to generalize and say like, oh, this is, but, but th- this is really long. So I'll hit the, the, the main categories first, yeah, right? Yeah, hit the main. Um, golf operations management, retail management, player development, golf administration, business and financial, and then other facility, departmental responsibilities, and knowledge, skills, and traits. So it's written as many job descriptions are. uh, Those are the headers of, of what these are. But let me just go through some of them. So at the top, golf operations management. Oversee the reservation system starting monitoring and pace of play. Two, Track and verify all players and guests, green fees, golf cars, club care, lockers, handicap fees, and other charges necessary, and facilitate accurate accounting and record keeping. Three, oversee golf cart fleet while ensuring proper maintenance and record keeping. Golf carts are three. Already, I'm angry, <laughs> right? Like, come on. All golf carts, like, they're the bane of, of golf's existence. And the fact that you're asking PJ professionals to put that as their third bullet Ah, that drives. That explains
1: explains so much.
0: So (laughs) right, Uh, develop and manage an innovative tournament program, group outings, and leagues that service all customer segments. I think that's what you said first, and I think that's what should be first: competition and, and engagement. Uh, I, I, I'll, get, get, I'll, I'll finish something. through this. Yeah. yeah. Oversee the operations of well-managed practice facility, provide pre- professional club repair and club fitting services, ensure the proper storage, safety, and cleaning of golf equipment, play golf with a variety of members and or guests as time permits, administer the rules of golf and educate staff, promote and provide rules of golf clinics to the membership, develop, maintain, update, and utilize customer database. So that's golf operations management. And maybe we just start there and, and Yeah, that was you know. just that category, right? We didn't even get it that's into
1: just one. The other other categories. Like my mind immediately is like, I mean, geez, like how big of an organization is this to do all those things? And like how many people do you need to be involved with that? Right away, you're positioning the PGA professional as a not I wouldn't even want to call it CEO, as a project manager almost, right? Where like you can imagine the number of people you're gonna need under that to do those things, because that's that's too many things for one person to do. So they're already put in a position where they have to, they're more of a people manager than actually a dictator, like going back to what I want them to do, dictating like the ethos of the place and being like a visible, visible piece there. They're already playing that role. And we haven't even brought up like the one, one of the biggest issues I have that they have to placate to the membership, right? Like that's not included in that. I mean, it's implicitly included in that list, but Ultimately, that's a big part of their role too. Like everything they do has to placate to the membership. If if it's a country
0: club, um, that's a little yeah. different. A municipality sort of position. The the golf administration category is is kind of littered with those, like you said, discrete references to committees and and memberships and uh, you know enforcing uh, policies and procedures and and I think that is like one of the categories that, uh, is in here that's like, God, how much time is wasted with, you know, babysitting essentially, or, or managing these, uh, uh, these relationships that aren't directly, uh, affecting the experience of those at the club or, of course.
1: Yeah. That was just literally right before you said that, that popped in my head. Like how many of those are actually critical, to the golf experience. Like go back to retail. Like I love me some merch. I love me a well laid out, you know, um pro shop and that's the right? second like, category. The walk, retail management is the second category. Yeah. Walk in the Wingfoot and it's like, oh this this is a this is a great pro shop, right? Like I so don't get me wrong. I love me some merch. But I don't need that. You don't need that at all. Like if you blew up the Pro Shop and it didn't exist. I don't think it would influence my golf experience at all. And I don't think it should influence someone's golf experience to make someone feel like this place was better because their pro shop was awesome. But yet that's one, like you said, that's the second one on there. So again, that that three was carts maybe. Like we're putting retail on carts as if that's critical to the golf experience at all and should be something. I mean, that's like a perfect microcosm of U.S. golf right there. Like, hey, this is capitalistic. Let's make money. We're, we can we make money on carts. We can make money on retail. People love to consume. Let's just lean into that
0: rather than fight against it. Um, yeah, yeah, brutal. Yeah, I, my sensibilities on on all of golf are really educated by my time spent in the UK and Ireland, as everybody that's a regular listener knows. And you know, the merch kind of sucks over there but the the experience, but the experience is awesome. It's so good. It's so no bullshit. Here's what, if if you need something, go get it. And, and I'm here to make sure that the golf is great, that the people are respectable, respectful. And, and, uh, and they're a bit more of an authority figure. I feel like over there versus is here. I, I think, um, and maybe I I want to make sure that this pod isn't about us attacking the PGA profession. Cause I, I know you and I, Kevin are huge supporters and allies of the PGA professionals. We've had, and I, maybe we take one step back real quick and talk about the impact the PGA professionals have made in our lives. Yeah. Let's do it. You that. know, I, why don't you start us off? Like who, who in your life of, of the, these, you know, men and women that they work for very few dollars and 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 sacrifice a lot of free time to do this. Who has made an impact in your life?
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm afraid I'm gonna miss someone. Like that's how important of an impact they've had on me that I, I'm gonna name names. And if I forget anyone, like I, I'm just gonna apologize off the bat because my relationship with golf, my entry in the golf was entirely outside of my parents and my aunt and uncle was entirely due to PGA professionals taking me under their wing and teaching me. So my first instructor at Union Country Club was Pat, um, started teaching me the game. Craig McConnell, Butchie, then took me under his wing. I started to become a good golfer because of him. Like what he did with my game, even when he moved from Union Country Club to Oak Shadows, I went over the Oak Shadows for him for lessons. He was that guy through like middle school. If anything happened to my game, I could go to and he diagnosed and fixed in literally 10 seconds. Um, we still interact to this day. One of the, the greatest golf golf guys out there, and then someone that's entirely special in my life, Greg Leggett. Um, so Greg Leggett, freshman year high school, I was an okay golfer, maybe 39, 40 average, and then Greg Leggett. Uh, and we had just a basketball coach, a guy that would be search, searching for golf balls with a cigar in his mouth when we played tournaments. You know, that was our our high, our high school coach, and then Greg took over. He was a PGA professional, owned his own driving range, so he wasn't underneath the umbrella of a country club or a golf course, just driving range, putt-putt course sort of thing. Um, He took over, and he took my game in three months from a 39-shooter to a 36-shooter. And just a lover of the game, one of the most brilliant people with teaching swing to anybody he got under, never taught one philosophy of swing, took what you had and made it better, Um, gave me a job, and he, like, he was my outside of my parents and my and my teachers he was my major mentor as a kid like that's the guy I learned so much of life throughout from and basically so much of golf and how to have a relationship with the game and how to enjoy the game while playing competitively like that's what he did um and it was awesome being under him because he didn't have a membership over top of him so whatever we want to do when I was working for him at the driving range, like whatever we wanted to do, we did like, didn't matter what it was with the driving range, the putt putt course, any sort of thing we wanted to establish, we did. And it was cool to see that in him. Like he had walked in every day passionate because he got to dictate everything we did that day. There was no one over top of him. And so he just always had this like light in his eyes, like this excitement of like, what are we going to accomplish today? What do we want to like, what experience did we want for people coming to hit balls and like learn from us as instructors and buy new clubs or play in the simulator. Like what do we want to do? That's always the question he asked.
0: And, and and I think there's a trend as it pertains to the PGA profession that those that want to maintain their passion and that light in their eye, as you said, they usually start their own thing or they, they have to go outside of the constructs of, of green grass golf structure and the way it's been for hundreds of years. Um, that's telling in itself, I think. Right, that you have to own a driving range to stay, you know, true to that. And because, because here's and and I'll do the same um, kind of pay tribute to the PGA professionals that have helped me in my life. I was the same way, right? And the list is long, but the ones that come to mem- m- mind, and I know some of them listen: Mark Phelps, Rod Johnson, Larry Mensky, and, and Gary Robertson. Um, those uh, those Gary. are four people. Gary's uh, <laughs> just gentlemen of gentlemen. Maybe the Bobby Jones of Northeast Ohio, like just buttery soft short game. My short game, I, I am a chipping uh, is still the best part of my game. And my bunker game is still the best part of my game because Gary fricking Robeson It just watching him. not even, yes, he's a great teacher, but just watching him and how he, uh, he's just such a, a mild mannered gentleman and, and kind of who you aspire to be. And, and so that's an example of this profession for me and why I, I think I get so passionate talking about it is these were my heroes. Like, frankly, they were. These are the people that I watched. They were, not only were they the best golfers around uh, as a kid growing up, they were the most passionate about the game of golf. They loved geeking out with me, talking about the grooves in my wedges, you know, Mm -hmm. talking about this type of grass versus that type of grass, talking about how you play uh, a bump and run when the grass is growing into you, your your ball's sitting down, the grass is growing into you. I obsessed about these people and thought I always wanted to be one of these people. Um, a PJ professional because of that, because of their passion. But it broke my heart as a kid to watch these guys, mostly men. I didn't have a, a female PJ professional in my life, but mostly men. Watch these guys develop drinking problems, develop marital problems, be walked all over by country club members. You know, this was the stuff that really sat with me in my teenage years. About like, f that, I'm not, I can't do that. And and why is this happening? I didn't understand it. I was like, why is this happening? These guys love this game. Why? Why is the? And and I think that is in itself uh, shows why the system is probably flawed. And and so I don't, I don't want that to happen. You know, I I think I think that there's a healthy balance of this profession that is so, so important. And when you take the most passionate golfers that get into the industry to work in the industry, that care about the game, that care about the progress of the game and ask them to worry about, you know, retail management and ask them to worry about the golf cart fleets and ask them to like put that stuff above what they care about, what their, what their, uh, their gift to the world is, which is the uh, enjoyment and experience and pursuit of of uh, becoming a golfer, a true bona fide golfer, that that is what breaks them, I think. In in my you know, I'm getting a little deep here, but that's why I just want to see um, serious change amongst the PJ profession. And and I don't, and it still happens today. And there's a little, you know, we talk about the clubs that do a good job of this. I think they have uh, uh, protected their PGA professionals better than others. But, you know, as we see initiation fees set record highs year after year, and we see membership dues go up and up, you know, what else changes with that? The expectations of the members. And you know what, what happens is they, they, not everyone, but many will take that as I can demand anything I want. I can shit on whoever I want because I pay a lot of money to be at this Mm -hmm. club. And that's not right for the PGA professionals. Yes, I hope pay goes up because of some of those factors, right? They they are underpaid, just like our teachers are underpaid. PGA professionals should be paid more. But I also think that we need to to think about that and say, is a 50K job for an assistant professional or second assistant professional where you are respected, where your family time is respected, where your free time is respected, where your membership knows what the boundaries are, is a 50K job that has that expectation, a better trade-off than an 80K job that says people can walk all over you. And I think that is mm. where we need to go with the PGA. Yeah, wow. I think we could we could lump superintendents in that
1: conversation too, in terms of protecting them in terms of their time with family so I do want to acknowledge the
0: supers out there because you know I love the supers but but I, I will say I will say this about the super because we we'll that'll be another, another episode we have on superintendents I you have to say they've done I think a better job from their leadership mm-hmm. of, of the, the associations and in the Midwest I, I know some of those people better so I think they've done a good better job uh, uh championing their constituents their superintendents to say, uh, no here is our pay here is our our boundaries mm-hmm. i I, th- I think they've done a better job but it's easier for them kevin and be, because I, I they don't have the consistent exposure in the pro shop they don't have the consistent yes. exposure in the in the uh obviously committee meetings they're still part of but anyways i do understand well, your point And
1: then I, and then i want to echo to make sure everybody's clear too like to echo a point you made earlier and echo it from my own viewpoint like I don't consider the PGA pros culpable in some of the criticisms we're going to be discussing here, right? That this is a um, um, club membership issue. This is a governing board issue. This is, I think we could put it on the the PGA itself. You know, think about a document you just read through. Like, I think we put it on their shoulders that just promotes a systemic culture of passivity and placating to membership, right? So, I want to acknowledge that too. Like, because, yeah, like, let's rewind back. So... Am I wrong on this? Like, the PGA Pro, if we wind back to the beginning of the business, like, they were PGA pros. Like, they were golfers. So, to you, to what extent should the PGA professional in today's world, you know, as it's moved into more of this business environment, then that doesn't matter if you're at a municipal course or club, like, golf courses are treated much more as a business than back in the day. To what extent should they be golfers? Right? Because, like, what you read to me, like... Didn't sound like a golfer at all. Like, yeah, I had a little bit like play with members as expected, but... As time nothing, permits, as yeah, time permits is what it says. Nothing there <laughs> said to me that the PGA Pro has to be a golfer. And, and let me clarify, I don't mean that in a way they should have to be playing golf a lot, but like be a golfer at soul, right? Be a golfer yeah. at heart. To what extent is... Two parts of that question. To what extent is that important relative to that document you read? To what extent is that important relative to your image of what the PGA Pro should should do and should be?
0: Yeah, yeah, playing is is important, and and I I uh, uh, I'll give a shout out to the president of the Illinois section mm-hmm. who is really passionate about people scheduling their time to go play with members to go play in the Illinois section events. Like certain groups are are uh, uh, leading that charge, and I think I think it's the aspiration. I think that's it. It's like th- th- they should directly. When I said bona fide golfers, I, I think that's what happened to me, right? My PGA professionals took this little kind of nagging. I was more into basketball and other sports. They took this little nagging golf thing, and they made me a real golfer for life. Like, they, th- th- we have them to thank. And I, I, I think part of that is just aspirational and seeing them in play s- and seeing them enjoy it. I, one thing I think clubs need to do more of, of if you have a good, you know, playing PGA professional in your, in your club, uh, celebrate that. Send an mm-hmm. email when they, mm-hmm. when they top 10 in a, in a section event, send an email when they go out and shoot 64 on their own ball. Why are you hiding from that? Celebrate yeah. that. Like everybody's like, oh, he played. Why is he playing? I'm not playing. I'm no, cause he's a, he's a professional golf. <laughs> like he should be playing and he should be inspiring, uh, our membership. He or she. And, and I, and I keep saying that cause my, my influences growing up were, uh, men, but, Um, we have to celebrate the fact that they're pretty darn good at golf (laughs) as well. Yeah. And I
1: think of it too, from the perspective of to go, we ended up lovers of golf because of partially because of PGA professionals. Right. And so when we think about growing the next generation of golfers and getting the kids out, let's say at a, at a country club, that's what I'm most familiar with. Those kids running around the grounds, familiar with the game and into the game, obviously their parents play a role, their, their friend circle is going to play a role, but the PGA pro has to be given that power, you know, has to be empowered to play a role in that as well. Right. And kids are, kids are so smart, right. Five year olds at picking up, they have no conscious, uh, there's no consciousness to this, but unconsciously they pick up body language they pick up attitudes right they don't they don't have any meta knowledge to be thinking about that stuff but they pick up on it so for a pro to be there and be a be a golfer at seoul and show that passion i think that's critical to developing that next generation of golfers so that little five-year-old sees his pros be super excited and super energetic and be like oh that's what i want to do to do exactly what you said like you saw them and you're like yeah and then you got older and saw some of the ills that the the profession creates but before that was just love, right? Just love and excitement is what you saw. And that's what that's what led you away from um not working on your left hand on the basketball court or anything like that.
0: Well, Kevin, I didn't need work on my left hand basketball court. But yes, no, it is that is that care and, and passion for it. And you bring up junior golf. I think uh I know that it is kind of a, a thing in golf or it has been in the past to, you know, the the newest uh member of the, the staff in the pro shop takes on the kiddos and, you know, just has to make sure nobody gets hit upside the head with a seven iron and, and it isn't really, uh, celebrate as maybe the, um, most desirable job of, of the PGA on staff. And I, and I think that has changed to some degree. I think, I know there's a lot of champions of junior golf that are doing it very differently lately. Yeah. Operation there's some great examples out there. Uh, I love what the guys at Operation Thirty Six are doing. Um, there's uh, th- there's there's a lot happening in junior golf, making it more uh, team oriented, making it more of a sport. So a lot of this has already changed on the junior side. But I I, uh, I almost thought about it in this this sense, preparing for the, the chat with you, Kev, is you would never let a seven year old talk poorly to you or demand things that are outside you know, your purview of your membership. And this whole, I, the thing that drives me most nuts is that the, I'll call it subservient, subservient mm, yeah. uh, style. There's, there's service, and, and I'm a big believer. My dad always says service above self. You should put others above yourself. It's a happier way to live life. I think many PGA professionals do that. But unfortunately, subservient is not, it, it's someone is below you, someone needs to, you know, uh, 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 kind of pamper to you. Yeah. And, and that, that is what I, I, you hear me get excited about this. So that, that's what makes me, uh, really infuriated is that a lot of people kind of view it that way. And I, th- and I thought about junior golf and, and the same great PGA professionals that tied to, if I ever said to them, like, hey, my bag is in the parking lot, you know, go get it. Or, uh, uh, hey, this, this you know, bitching about pace of play or, or all these things that I hear adults bitch about in golf. If I ever said that as a seven-year-old kid to any one of those people, you know what they would do? They'd sit me down and say, hey, here's how you, this is how you live life, kid you go get your bag as it, mm-hmm. if it's out there and you forgot mm-hmm. you you you, know, you apologize for your mistakes you ask people and say thank you please. and please and and I just think this extravagance of of golf and and the the business side of golf and maybe this, this is where I wanted to take it i think the business side of golf and the dollars and the carts and the equipment and the retail management and stuff has really polluted that uh, relationship, and we and we now think of dollars first, and these intrinsic values of golf second. Which is how do you treat others? What is a boundary? What is not? And uh, and that's what I want more clubs to to move towards. It's treat everyone as if they were seven years old. <laughs>
1: well, I was just you kind of implied that. Um... Members are older than seven year olds, but I think you could make the statement that most members, uh, maybe most is a strong word, but many members at a club act equivalent to a seven year old with the way they position all the staff, PGA pros included in that, that they just see them as the person that should pamper and, and usher them through their experience and do whatever they want as they want, as they see fit.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's. Uh... Um, it's infuriating, but I I which I, what was I I oh the business side of, of golf is what yeah. I was gonna ask you. I mean, how, how what what did like? Do you do you share my sentiment on that? Do you think it has this? you know, I believe it just has a stranglehold on us of of the equipment and and all these things. And, and many pros were so reliant on uh the the, I don't want to say retail, but just uh the dollars of it all um for so so long and. Oh. We're in a capitalist society. Obviously, we have to uh, to uh, pay our bills and keep the lights on. But, you know, is that a contributing factor, you think, in this whole I, arc of the PGA professional?
1: I think, yes, I think this will set up well for your your talk with my one of my favorite um, people in the world of Adamski. Like, okay, when we say capitalistic society, like that's a very loaded, vague term, right? I think one of the ways that plays out in practice, if we identify a tangible thing is like, looking to inject dollars made as much as possible into any experience, right? So start with the golf experience. Like I love a deconstructed experience, meaning like you walk there, you get there, you you put on your shoes, you put on the bag on your shoulders, you walk up. Yeah, you might check in and pay your greens fee or whatever that has to be done, right? They need to make money to maintain the course, but then go to the first tee and like peg it and walk and go walk and do all that. Maybe grab a push cart versus like, think of the number of point, po- like uh, I'm thinking, I can't remember the business term, but the number of points at which you have an opportunity to spend more money, or there's something that's been injected to get you to spend more money. If it's the pro shop and all the clubs, right? OEMs, new clubs every year that frankly aren't any better in the previous year really, right? Like uh, the number of clothes, the number of brands that are in there. Um, I mean, add alcohol and, and food into that. I mean, I dabble, like I'm not criticizing, but it's there to help you spend more money. carts, right? Like we can go through this list of things there to get you to spend more money that just blow up the whole experience and make it this bloated thing that then the, that falls on the pro, right? The pro has to manage all of that. Um, I always use the conveyor belt aspect too. It creates a conveyor belt aspect to, to the golf experience. Like if you go to a golf course, you know what's going to happen. I'm going to get there. I'm going to drop off my club at the bag drop. Oh, there's another place that have money, a transaction occur, right? Tipping your bag. Always tip your bag, boys. Let me be very clear. Tip them well. Tip them. Don't buy another yes. hat. You don't need it. Give that $20 to the guy toting bags because he's there from 7 a.m. till who, who knows? If his buddy was out drinking doesn't show up, he's going to be there till 8 p.m. Right? Like that's what, how that's going to work. Um, but you, you drop off your clubs, they take it over. You go into the pro shop, you buy some stuff, you check in, right? You spend some money, you go get your drink, you go out, your clubs are on the cart, drive your cart to the driving range, like go to the first tee, play 18 holes, stop in, have a drink, maybe a bite, leave, right? That's the conveyor belt aspect to it. Like, you know, the experience you're going to get basically any golf course you go to. And I think it's all built around all these points at which you can expend money, right? Like, they need it to be that way. So you spend money in those places that so you need to go through that conveyor belt aspect. It's like Disney, right? I, I think Disney and even golf resorts that we love that we love, where it feels a little bit more deconstructed, like a sand valley or whatever. It's not. They know what you're doing. They know where you're going, when you're going, whatever. It's like Disney. You think you're in control where you're walking? No, they've structured that whole place. They know like where 87% of, of the people are going to go throughout their entire day, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I've been thinking about that because they're they're obviously deconstructing a whole uh, destination experience. So not not your neighborhood country club or anything, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, uh, pay is a bit of a challenge there. I, I've had friends that work at their resorts. Um, they're not the top of. Uh, I'm not saying it's you know uh, uh, below minimum wage or anything. They're 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 paid what they're paid. It's not terrible, but I think it's in that realm of what I was talking about, which is. Uh, not going to be on the high end of the PGA profession in terms of dollars, but the the boundaries are set, right? Mm. They they play more they play more golf than anyone I know. To yeah. They attract I think those d- resorts because it's just such a pure golf experience. They attract people that really love the game of golf, and so they they're able to. And I think that there was that great documentary by the Golfers Journal on uh, Clark mm. uh, Clark's revival up at same Valley. Like that guy is about as passionate as it gets. Has overcome some some tremendous adversity in his life, but he makes hickory clubs. He he encourages members to take out a set of hickory clubs. He encourages members to uh, uh, to just tr- really enjoy the game of golf. And I'm sure he's impacting lives in that way. He doesn't get paid that well, right? Or just in yeah. terms of the PGA, I've seen I've seen you know from friends what it is. So it, it is that trade off, and 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 that's the constant battle of of the dollars with the uh, fulfillment. But personally, I I, I do want to make more money myself. We all do, right? But personally, I've learned the the most miserable I was in my life was when I was making the most money. And that's just my own personal experience. But I think that does play out in a lot of other times. And so when we make this argument all about the, uh, uh, the finances. And we make this argument all about the, uh, uh, the dollars and the pay. Oh, they would be happier if they were paid more. I, I don't buy that. And I don't want to mm-hmm. go down that route. And I think we, what we need to talk about, and this will be very unpopular, is we need to talk about removing cost. One clear item of cost is staff. And there might be too many PGA professionals, in my opinion. You go overseas, you go to the La Hinchas, you're not seeing a first, second, third assistant professional and a cart room guy. You got one. And, and yes, he's very busy, but he's also not getting walked all, all over by members. He's telling them, this is the program. Thanks for being with us. I'm, I'm running the monthly medal tomorrow. I got, you know, captain's matches on the docket for next week. It's It's much more... Uh, sane. It's not crazy. And, and, and I think we've just let this run away from us and everybody's, you know, you you brought up superintendents and I feel this, this feud has gotten better between superintendents and and the golf side or the GM side, but, but everyone's fighting for dollars. Everyone's trying to, and that's, that only is, is encouraging this cost conundrum that we have in golf and we got to stop it. We got to stop adding costs to it, and one element of that is is staffing. So I think I think we'd be better off if we reestablish the the requirements. We reestablish culture around how we treat yep. our professionals, and and we we determine what that is, and then that in itself is going to start bringing down costs in uh, in that because we're not going to have uh, a lot of underpaid and underappreciated people that burn out, uh, work these jobs. We're going to have people that are, are in it, that are passionate about it, that are, are respected and treated well, and they grow long, long and prosper. But I know there's, those folks are in, I know those folks are in the golf world. And if you're, you know, listening, you're a PGA professional, like, and you are that, I know that you're there. I want there to be more of you. That's like, that's the problem is there's not more people that feel empowered in that position to, uh, to make a difference in, in happy. Let me let me push you a little bit, because um, I agree with you completely.
1: How do we accomplish that? Right, it's one thing to say like, okay, yeah, like reduce staff. We're like, what do, what do we need to do, to make that happen? You know, you used the word empowerment
0: there. Like, how, how do we get that to happen? So yeah, you, you're asking me to put on my, uh, my commish hat. If I'm yeah, because
1: uh, it, it'd be, uh, I'm gonna be like I'm Mr. Wa. Yeah. And because also this is because I love you. Like I'll never be a club president. That's not my personality or whatever. You, if you're a club president, I mean, you already are. And like, maybe that's not your channel in come club, chairman. but like, come on. whatever. Like that's so like, okay, I'm putting you in the spot. That's fast forward 10 years when you've joined a club in Akron and like you're the club president. Like how do we make that happen? Because, and I will add my short and one word answer, because I think it's on the membership. That's my personal opinion. I'll expand on that later. But I want to know, like you. Like you're the you're a leader. That's who you are. How do you make that happen?
0: Yeah. I. I boy. I don't know where does it start. That's my. That's where my head goes. Is like what. What are the dominoes that fall? Yeah. Um. You know. You can't just. There's a lot of different band aids that would need to be ripped and and it's undoing a. a, a a structure and a construct that is just, uh, so ingrained, it would be really, really hard, Kevin. Um, but I think where all things began is culture. So Mm -hmm. if I'm a president of a club where I see this playing out, right. Where, uh, our, our members are paying lots of money and, and, and our, uh, club pros are just not maybe that fulfilled and they're working long hours and they're, and they're well-paid. I, I think I would, uh, conduct a heck of a lot of interviews, but I think, we, we would attack it from, from culture and, and say, um, you know, there's little things that can be done, but I think, you know, like the celebrating of pros and putting uh, uh, them more, more um, out amongst membership in, in more of a celebratory way, uh, an aspirational way. But I, I also think that I would probably address the cost of our, of our, uh, uh, our budget. And, and I, I'd, I'd tie that to our revenue and I'd mm-hmm. probably uh, make a a plan that showed um, a substantial de- decrease in our revenue, but with an even more substantial decrease in our. And we're talking about your your blue blood traditional yeah. country club, and just some of the you know you can go online and see any of their uh, financial statements, and and I do that from time to time as a total nerd, but if you look at it, what, what jumps off the page is, you know, a break-even charity, right? And there's, when you're running break-even charities, that's, that's one thing. But I think I would come from the standpoint of, um, you know, the, in a way, the diversity of our membership from a, uh, family income standpoint. And that's, let's dissect that into, you know, do we have families that are living everyday life in our community that are part of this club? No, we don't like, and that's most clubs, they just don't. So that's change that. Okay. How do we change that? That's remove, uh, uh, that's lower our, our initiation, that's lower our, our monthly dues. Okay, well, how do we do that? Are you kidding? Look at our costs. We'll, we'll go broke. We'll go out of business. Yeah, we're going to cut our costs. And that's where I would get very aggressive where it's like, okay, 10% reduction in the revenue of the club, 30% reduction in costs. And then we're going to have to live with some really, I mean, this is where it gets brutally difficult. Right. Because the expectation of the club is green grass golf courses and all the, the, the chemical use and all the water use and all the, the perfect. Whistles. Oh, and the menu with so many different choices. And look at all the co- custom cocktails we have. And look at all the staff that's always there to greet us and always here. To, and that's where it gets really hard. And that's where I go to okay, financial, then cultural. Cultural. Maybe no one's greeting you. Maybe you got to carry your bag to to the, the, the spot the bag needs to be. Maybe maybe there's, um, you know, uh, God, there's so many places that you can see waste in a country club. But maybe the menu now, instead of having 20 items, it has 10. Maybe it's a limited, you know, you can't get breakfast, but we have breakfast sandwiches that are, are there. It's one chef versus four. I, I just think that it's all so Intertwined and related, it's like trying to fix the healthcare, you know, system. If you if you really want to look for comparisons, and I and I think um, this isn't as important as the healthcare system, but it's pretty dang important because I, I just I love golf. I see it go in this direction that it, it is untenable. Uh, it's untenable, and and it removes a lot of our population from being a participant in a club. And frankly, I plug for a new club. I think that's our one of our largest missions is to make sure that there is a – everyone deserves to be a part of a club. Everyone deserves to be a part of a membership and a community, and and most of these memberships have outgrown the, the majority of golfers. And so we're just trying to bring back an option for more golfers, more people that are everyday Americans and, and human beings that love the game of golf and giving them opportunities to play, giving them people to play with, giving them – Structure that in encourages their golf and encourage and celebrates it, and and makes them bona fide golfers and passionate about yeah. the game for for a lifetime because that impacts impacts lives. So long, long-winded answer to your question, but that I think without giving it a ton of thought, I think that's how I try to approach it. No, I mean that's
1: yeah, I think the duty comes to mind too, like how to make this a tangible thing. So I think exactly what you. Talked about where like, I think the president and the governing board of the club, like again, we're talking about country clubs here. Like they have to be the strong driving force. They have to be there to put this mission in place, stick to it, right? Um, protect the pro, like protect the pro and enable, empower the pro and say, hey, we're here to protect you. Do these things like, and do things that you wanna do. Like come obviously maybe consult us, but like we it's, you're the pro, like we're gonna protect you. We're gonna shield memberships. The members are never gonna complain to you. They're gonna to come to us and that's where they're gonna complain. Cal Club did this with their renovation, right? Like they said no, no and no members are gonna to talk to our consulting architect. They're gonna to come to the president and he's gonna filter everything. Um, so I think that's, that's using, because people joke all the time about government not doing anything, right? Actually, if you look across a lot of um, things in America, education where I work, right? Like policy drives everything. like. That's the one thing we know is policy influences anything, more, Any things way more than my research will ever influence anything. At the club level, too, the president, the governing board, they're going to influence a lot that goes on. So, yeah, I, I think in terms of making your your ideal a reality, they have to play a role. But then I go to duty on the membership, too. Like if you think about those Scottish clubs, think of, like, what the members do. They caddy. Like they <laughs> yeah. they they set yeah. up the games right. They set up and manage a lot of the games, and they we think we have we have games here at our clubs. Oh, they don't even sniff that. How many competitions does an average Scottish club have? I mean, hundred and
0: seventy something like that is with the club that we're a part of. It's
1: and they're well oiled machine, like well oiled in the sense that they happen right. I'm like as they occur, like things occur, but like the with, members with limited fix-
0: frills, with limited yeah. frills, because they understand that staff can't be the only ones to to execute these, right? Mm. That, that you, maybe you show up and there is a breakfast sandwich. It's not a huge buffet. Like that type of stuff is what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, and the cost is way down in those events too, right? Like you, just, yeah. you don't pay $500 per event. Like you pay middle, and you got the most badass trophies in the world, right? Like that sort of stuff. So like there's duty on the members to step up and play that role. And again, not look to the staff, the servants um, the quote-unquote servants, as most members see them as, is like, oh, they should do this. No, the members do it. But then also, like, you know what? I think accomplishing that, in addition to the the kind of revenue and cost, like the hard decisions that make there, also members like, hey, this ain't your thing. Well, go elsewhere, right? Like not placating to the members that complain about it or whatever. And just yeah. like, th- that's why you need that president and that board, that strong will to just say, yeah, I hear your complaints. They're, they're reasonable. Like you want that person to greet you and carry your bag, but we're not going to do that. And if you want that, like, Hey, club down the road, they have that by all means, like, and you're going to lose some members. And again, that goes back, we're going to lose revenue. But if we cut costs aggressively, that's okay. Again, this, Rewinds all the way back to the capitalistic. The goal of a club should not be to make as much money as possible and to continue to grow and grow and grow. Oh yeah, more members. <laughs> Cause,
2: cause, like Because no, the problem versus
0: a business, which country clubs, for better or worse, are typically not businesses. And the ones that are run like businesses do better. But uh, for better or worse, when they make more money, they have to spend it. And yeah, that's a it. huge problem. Like like the, the 501c3 classification of a nonprofit, like they have to spend it. So th- th- that's where... Uh, And and I read a brilliant article by UK Golf Guy about the the golf clubs that have – it's not membership. Membership they've kept uh, flat even Mm -hmm. with inflation and stuff, or some slight increases. But their guest fees, and their guest fees are becoming a problem because these renowned classic old golf courses, if you're into architecture, this would matter to you. They are now so cash rich after two years of post-pandemic that everyone's playing golf that they're like, oh, shit, what are we going to do with this? Uh, let's redo that bunker. Yeah. Oh, let's move it slightly. All right. What about a new tee? And, and now the, like architect guys are going, no, please. Huh. <laughs> like, no, bring the fees back down. Don't touch this. Tom Morris, like classic golf course, you morons. So yeah, Donate uh, the money somewhere if you need to. Let's <laughs> yeah, just donate. Like, let's do the Augusta National thing. Let's go adopt a muni down the street. Give them the money. But don't F this up. Like, like we have, I love the word duty, Kevin, for what you're talking about with membership. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to educate members uh, of clubs to know how special our places are. And, and, and just respect that and, and not try to always let our ego interfere with it. And, and, and that goes to empowering, uh, uh, professionals, right? Because if these people are the, the most knowledgeable about the game of golf, I mean, um, I, I've been really, uh, I'd love to see the trend of more of the PGA professionals. I talk to at clubs that take this outstanding pride in their golf course, and in the way that a superintendent might, right? And I think that's a really good trend where they want to share that with other people. They love when people brag about their golf course. They love when people, and and the way it plays and the strategy to it. That's like a deeper appreciation, not just you know how hard is that hole or how you know um, all the kind of superficial level of, of golf that we talk about. So uh, yeah, there's there, there is a lot of good happening in, in in these directions, and I don't want to make it all critical, but it needs to. Uh, I think people need to speak up and talk about this more often.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I always go back. Yeah, I'm a big, I trumpet duty a lot, right? I think the best clubs aren't transactional. It's not the staff and all that servicing the members and the members looking for them, you know, to service them or whatever. It's rather this like reciprocal relationship where the, the members see their duty as servicing the club. And the workers of the club see themselves as servicing the club as well, right? That the club takes priority in the relationship. Like everybody's duty is to that club. And so that way, the I think that evens the playing field for both the staff as well as the members yeah. too. Like, hey, we're, I'm not here to have, you know, Joe Devaney's our head pro. Like his role is not to please me. His role is to do what's best for Athens Country Club, the club itself and its longevity. And my role is to do the best for the country club and its longevity, right? Whatever that means. And if you have people doing that, that's you know goes to the idea of alignment, where everybody's in alignment, working together. It's no you know move, we remove the service aspect to it in terms of a person servicing another person, and then that also just gives you more of a society relationship rather than a transactional relationship.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, societal relationship. Yeah, the the mutual respect. These should be uh, friendships that grow between staff and members because of that. Um, I. Uh, as we lead into Adamski, So we, we, we got a, a, that'll be a a great interview here that we have with, with him. I think about him as the, one of the most authentic people that I know in the PGA profession. And he is not afraid, you know, I was walking around with him at the PGA show and we, a lot of his colleagues and, you know, he's well-respected, but he's not afraid to say what he thinks. And, and I think as the older I get, the more I crave authenticity, the more Mm -hmm. I, I look for people that aren't full of shit, to be frank, like just, just tell me what they think, whether I disagree with them or not. You know, I, I, I really do respect that. I think the way that, uh, we're all under a microscope in a way with, with social media and different things, I think that almost has, it's gotten so ridiculous that more people embrace the authenticity and, um, the, my last comment on just the PGA profession is in the, the, the typical structure, the country club structure, uh, they're politicians. There's no better way to say it. The authenticity yeah. is not there. They, If they're in a room of people, they're saying very blanketed, generic. It's like the art of saying something without saying anything. And I'll look at some of them, and I'll be like, I was having a drink with you, and you, you did not feel that way. What the F are you talking about, man? Like, come on. Tell them what you think because I value their opinion knowing how much time they spend inside that operation, how much time they spend on with that golf course or, or just around golf, thinking about golf, they're most of the time, you know, sick in the mind like you and I, and they think about yeah. golf in an enormous amount of time. So I respect their opinion, and I think it's one of, those, the, the, one of those areas that it's just so sad that we don't hear their opinion because they're playing this political game, and they know if they upset one person and it's the wrong person they upset, they lose their job, mm-hmm. and that – Ain't cool, and I think that goes back to your point of a club president's duty to protect that person. That no longer can, should be able to happen. A, a a good PGA professional who cares about his job, who works hard, who who does these ex, you know, creates the experience that you and I are talking about. They need to be protected. And if Mister Havenkamp is uh, uh, going to be incoming president and doesn't like so and so, they should not be losing their job over that anymore. That yep. that th- 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 there is too much at stake with with so many other stakeholders. Um, anyway, I want to get that in as we transition to Mr. Adamski, uh, because I, I, am going to ask him that directly. I want to hear about his, was he always, I've only known him since Sweetens days or maybe just yeah. before he got the job at Sweetens. So I, I think he has free reign to, to be that authentic self at Sweetens, of course, because it's such a unique experience, but did he feel that when he was at these other clubs? Um, I, am really curious to get his take on that. What, what would you like to hear, uh, from Mr. Adamski?
1: Yeah. So Matt is full of ideas, uh, Adamski. I mean, much like you, Matt. Um, So I can't wait to hear just all the ideas as he riffs and, like, thinks about the profession and really dives into that. Because he's thought way much more about it than either of us, for sure. Right? Because he's lived in that world and he is like, what can I do? And and I appreciate Matt the most. uh, well, I'll say about this, all the guys at Sweden's Cove, like Sweden's Cove for me has opened my eyes to so much of golf, much like the Scottish experience. Uh, it's just as as, as eye-opening um, as that for me, right? And I think about in the topic with this conversation, like Patrick Boyd, you know, original GM, Nash, now Damski, I'll include Rob Collins into that as owner. Um, what I appreciate about them and the structure we have there, yeah, we're members, but like... A dance, he, he's told me to screw off in a very kind way. Again, he's not being a dick. Like, you know, if you give feedback or whatever. I ask, screw off. Like, like he's doing it how he's doing. He listens to us and he does. But we never expect him to do what we suggest. And we never hold him to that. Like, he's going to do what he thinks the best thing to do. And there's plenty of times we made suggestions as a group. And he's like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Like, or like, I, I just think of a, an interaction at had sweet, you know, um, Jay, uh, Jay's house, like Augusta style, if you saw him this week, as um, for a master's. And I just shot him a message. Hey, you hold one of those back. He has got to be here this week for these. You know, they're
0: not holding any back, right? Like, and I think, like, yeah, in a typical and, you, and, country, you, and you're like an important, you know, quote unquote important member where other clubs are like, okay, I gotta hold, I gotta hold this. Yeah, answer. like,
1: and I appreciated that, right? Like, there's no yeah. negative reaction from there's, me. At there's all. a meritocracy
0: so, to that answer.
1: There was no like, oh, how dare he? It was like, oh, okay, like if I want to get that towel, I better drive my butt up there, and that's what I got to do, right? And I appreciate that authenticity that he can say i hope he says whatever he wants i mean maybe he holds back a little bit i'm sure he does we all do in every interaction right but like he has a lot of liberty to say and do what he wants there and it's amazing like i appreciate that because i also feel as a member i can say whatever i want to him and i know he feels comfortable enough to say, dude, you're an idiot. Like, I'm not going to do that. Or like, oh, that's a good idea. I'll think about that. Like, I I appreciate it because it makes my interactions with him. I want to talk with him. I want to share something. And then I want to hang out with him. When we're on the grounds, you know what he wants? He comes out and plays with us. Not because he has to, because he wants to, right? He gets excited. Like, and that's fun, right? There's no, I never feel a sense of obligation from him that he's doing the things because he wants to do them and he's going to set the direction where he wants it to go and that's it's just it's just refreshing he's a real individual he's a member of sweeten's cove equal with all of us and actually with more but, power than all of us which is better
0: that's that's pretty good interlude to uh to, to mr damski so with that uh anything else professor before we leave you and, and part ways no let's get to that
1: interview and I definitely for all the new club members i hope they enjoyed uh this conversation and think about what's what role can they play in you know, empowering their PGA professionals? Because those guys work harder than ever. They sacrifice so much of their family time. They're out there. You think about it Tuesday through Sunday. They're there most of the day, all day. Um, and you read those job duties. They have more on their plate than most of
0: us do in our lives. So like, I read, what can we by do? By the now? way, we've read one-tenth of that job yeah. description. So like, we didn't even get to the heart of it. We could do this all day. Uh, but yes, we're going uh, uh, to Sweetens this weekend. So, listener, if yeah. you're part of that crew headed to Sweetens Cove, also stay tuned for the rest of this podcast because Mr. Damski is going to – I think we're going to unveil the format, the official Oof. format for the 2023 spring meeting, which I think is the best we've ever done. Five years of spring meetings. This one is the best format. Uh, uh, it's the best way to experience Sweetens. I can't wait to, to do it. So, Professor have a great week uh, yeah. on to our interview. Uh, I'll see you Thursday. Mr. Adamski, welcome to the backdrop. What's up, boys? How are you guys? Fantastic. Now that we're with you, uh, yeah. we replaced the professor sends his his wishes and and well wishes. Uh, we've replaced him with Mr. Caldwell as our co-host for this very important episode. Um, how do you feel about the professor, though? Kind of, you know, uh, he made up some type of thing. I don't know if he feels a conflict of interest or he's intimidated by it, but I thought that was odd that he he had to was, profess all of a sudden.
3: I feel like, uh, you know, I, we, we've known each other for a while now, and I was, like, really excited, geared up to talk to the professor in this platform, even though I talk to him all the time. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, his actions potentially in Pinehurst have uh, – you know, discouraged him. You know, I don't know if we just leave it there for a second, but maybe discouraged him from uh, talking with me here in this setting. Um, he didn't feel as professional at this point in time. He, I he's know. like,
0: I, I heard some tales from Pinehurst. He's kind of like a gremlin. If he has too much alcohol or too much sugar, he he turns into something totally different. Mm. Um, no, th- thank you for, for being with us. This is a two-part uh, series here on this episode. And Kevin and I talked a lot about – the uh, PGA profession. We talked a lot about the experience at Sweetens Cove, which is so unique in the world of golf. And this episode is is coming out the week that we are headed your way. So on uh, Friday and Saturday of this week, we're going to be with you at Sweetens Cove for the new club spring meeting, a highlight of the year, kind of just almost like our masters in a way. You go to a really special place, small field event. It's intimate. Uh, couldn't be more excited about the upcoming weekend. Um, So it's really good timing to be with you. But I want to start us with uh, a question and kind of where Kevin and I left off our chat is, um, I've known you for five, six years now. And I I do regard you as one of the most authentic uh, PGA professionals in the industry. Uh, Everything you've said to me, it always feels like you're saying what you mean. And- um, I think one thing that jumps off to me is that yeah. your authenticity is is unique in, in that. Like not a lot of PGA pros are always telling you exactly what they're thinking, you know? And and I just wanted to ask you, have you always been that way? I've only known you kind of in the Sweetens years or, or just before it. Is this something that you, you've you always felt that you can share your thoughts freely or, or is that uh, yeah. a new thing because of where you work?
3: No, I think I've probably done it sometimes uh, in a lot of wrong settings, but that's just it's kind of who I am and, and, and what I embody. And, uh, you know, I've been in in this profession since 2000. I went to Fair State, went through the PGM program, did the whole thing, worked in uh, private industry for forever. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I do what is the right thing. Um, and i voice my opinion on that. And sometimes, uh, you know, in certain settings, it's probably the inappropriate thing, but that's just who I am. And I enjoy it. And and my whole spotlight in golf is to, uh, make golf fun and, uh, you know, really celebrate the opportunity that you get to be at the facility that you're at, wherever you are, like in a private setting and in a Sweden's co setting in a, in a, a municipal setting, you know, um, you have to have a lot of, um, you know, uh, just, uh, you just gotta be excited, you know, about any setting that you're in doesn't matter what it is like, right? yeah. you know, and that's the whole point. And I'm excited in any form of setting. And then my, my, sometimes my words, uh, you know, come out in that direction because that's, that's how I feel it should be done. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you what I think. And, and uh, at the end of the day, we're going to have a lot of fun, so.
0: So, I, I, and give maybe uh, our listener, hello, listener, thanks for being with, with us. Um, give our listener kind of a, uh, a little bit more detail on your background in golf, yeah. right? So, graduate from Ferris State, I think, yeah. you know, what were some of the clubs that you went to and worked at?
3: And- so, I did uh, internships um, up in Northern Michigan. I did uh, internship at Austin, Texas and Barton Creek. Um, Big resort down there. I did internship at Bethesda Country Club, Whiskey Creek uh, Golf Club, Um, worked at the Cliffs Communities uh, down in the Carolinas, 30,000 acres, seven golf courses, uh, stretched out, all private. Um, Then I went to to Northern Michigan again, went to uh, Detroit Golf Club, where I spent almost five years, uh, where they host the Rocky Mortgage Classic, came down as the head golf professional at uh, NCR Country Club in Dayton, Ohio, and then uh, became kind of the director of golf right before I decided to go uh, opt out and, and run a shed. So got of all over the gamut there and uh, a <laughs> lot of different things, predominantly private um, and mixed with a, a tiny bit of a, a high-end resort. Uh, but mainly an enormous amount of traffic if you're familiar with a lot of those settings. So I mean, a lot of, a lot of those places are 36 plus holes. Um, or twenty seven plus holes, and now it's a nine yeah. hole golf course with a shed. And finally, some Michigan love on this yeah. podcast. There we go. Hey, hey, hey! We give Michigan's Michigan right. plenty
0: of love. We've got lots of Michiganders, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're right. There's a lot. There's a little Ohio bias on this show for sure. Um, those are some d- unique, different facilities, too, Matt. What, yeah. it, but prior to Sweetens, what was one of your most fulfilling times
3: in work? Um, there's so many different ones because, I mean, I went from basically a retirement community setting in a couple different phases, northern Michigan and in, in the, in the Cliffs communities to a kind of crazy setting with just uh, people that you see on TV and in the news world or CNN or Fox News and stuff like that in the, in the D.C. area, uh, and a lot of politicians and stuff. And then I think I think Detroit Golf Club was probably my favorite uh, place. Um that I've been a PJ professional. I mean, NCR is really good too. Detroit golf club filling wise as, as far as like programming and stuff like we had 165 kids in our junior program. And as a PJ professional, it's always about growing the game and had a really big, uh, women's, um, you know, uh, golf association, which was absolutely fantastic that, uh, I worked with a, a girl, um, Fuchik, Fuchik, and she was one of our assistant golf professionals and she was fantastic. And she helped grow that place. And, and we did a lot of neat things together so um that was i think the most fulfilling i guess if you will as as a PGA professional and i think i enjoyed that the most Played a lot of golf Had a lot of fun
0: yeah we, we in in our prior chat we were talking about the just the places that uh we, we didn't think it was a coincidence that the places that as as a golfer we find the most compelling and exciting and and uh fulfilling as like a, a experience mhm they're also, they seem to be the place that people enjoy working at the most. So it's like, um, what do you think like uh, uh, culturally about that club was, was maybe different than other places that you had been?
3: I mean, it was uh, golf, golf. I mean, if you go back, I mean, 19... Uh it's been around for forever, 1899, right? That's when the club was incepted. And then it had a lot of different changes and turned into a 36 holes in the, in the 1920s. and 1929, it was listed as one of the most expensive uh, golf properties in the world. Um, uh, by an, an American Golf Executive magazine, and it was one of the original first golf communities. Meaning, uh, they actually developed the real estate around the golf course. So, there's a lot of history to it. There's a lot of just people that are just golf centric. You know, a lot of very good players. I believe that uh, I don't remember when it was done. Maybe early '90s or something like that. It had one of the largest collection of single digit handicappers. Um, In the country, probably top. And then they did like they did a handicap index. um, And I think it came back as like a plus point zero five for their top, you know, like whatever, 200 golfers or whatever. So it was always just, I mean, a lot of a lot of history. Horton Smith was there. and and uh, Alec Ross, Donald Ross's brother, was a head golf professional there. And, you know, all these people that have kind of been in, in the golf realm. So it's always been that place. John Traub was there. He was a really good. Uh, PJ professional that was a good playing professionals, worked with like Bob Ford and John Gates uh, was there when I was there. So a lot of a lot of uh, prominent pga of america professionals too as well so it's just it's always had this tradition and this history and um just makes you just want to play golf and that's what you did there you go play a ton of golf kind of almost like sweeten's except it just uh had a, a a little price tag on it
0: yeah yeah like in, in all of our conversations man you've always been so passionate about the game and, and i think one element of working in golf, which Mark and I have done for six years now, and, and we've made so many friends with <clears throat> other PGA professionals is that one of the, the the worst parts of the job is seeing people who lose their passion, seeing people that, you know, get out on the other stuff, right? Because we know there's so much stuff in this, this job in the PGA profession. Um, what, what, what have you done you you feel too because I, I feel like you've never really lost that you know you have headaches just like anybody in any job but I, I never felt like you know you lost that passion like you, you were such you're so passionate about this game and you care deeply about people's experiences what what do you accredit that to in, in your role versus maybe some of your peers that uh, started out maybe in the same capacity that, in jobs that you did but maybe maybe have moved on or have lost that joy or that passion for this game
3: well not only is it about the game of golf, right? But it's all it's a hospitality job. At some point in time, people are gonna get annoyed with taking care of people. Yeah, I mean I equate it to a teacher, right? You know, he, teachers are special people that 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 want to be in that that industry to to help our next generation become who they are, right? And some people can do it and some people can't. My mother was a teacher for, you know, 30, 34 years or something like that. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of where I get my passion from for that. And teaching is all a relevant statement. Like it's, uh, in in, in the hospitality bit goes, you know, coinciding just intermixes with, with that too, as well. And I think, um, You just got to have a lot of passion, like you said, for it. And my passion's always been where I'm at, that current spot. (laughs) Whatever place I'm at, there's no better place. And that's the way I make it. Detroit, best place ever. NCR, there's no better place than NCR. And that's the excitement and the passion that you have to have for a place. Because then, if not, you just get taken over and it becomes a job and this is, is so much more because your your job, if you will, is to take care of people and help them enjoy the game that they really love. Hence, why they spent the money to you know, join that place or or come to that place, or etc. And it's just uh, uh, sometimes I'm a little too much because I care so much that it's always you know you, you can become offput and become. You know, some people would uh, classify me as a dickhead sometimes. And, um, you know, and that's just kind of like what it is. And that's okay because the integrity of how we do things here at Sweetens Cove at this point in time is is so much more important than uh, somebody's opinion sometimes. And we want everybody to have fun. But like, you know, you have to understand from a a certain level of how we do things. and, And that passion can, you know, sometimes show emotion too so it's a it's it's just caring more about everyday stuff don't ask my wife she'd tell you that I might care more about this than her sometimes but I love her and uh I love I love I love the game and I love (laughs) where I'm at you know what I mean um and that's the that's the passion and that's the excitement that you have to have every day when you go into some form of fashion like you guys to uh getting involved here right it's got to be fun
0: yeah 100% 100% and, and it, it strikes me that you 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 have a lot of fun in, yeah. in what you do and and everything at Sweetens I we'll get to like specific cuz we got a lot of questions about you know how the sausage is made if you will uh Fair. with the Sweetens Cove experience but but before we get there, one thing Kevin and I did earlier was we we uh, read through the uh, suggested sample job description of a head golf professional, of yeah. the, the PGA. Um, it's a resource for the PGA.org. And I, I can, we won't go back through it that for for uh, many reasons, but I, I almost want to read off like the headers of that for you. Sure. And I wanted to kind of get your sense of what, if you were czar, you know, if you were, I don't, know, I don't know if you would call Seth Wazzar, but if you were the Czar, which one of these would you kind of strip out from the PJ profession or not? would you would you, would you view all these kind of important to you know the success of a club experience and and the job of a PJ professional? So these categories are <clears throat> golf operations management, Ooh. retail management, player development, golf administration, business, and financial, other facility departmental responsibilities. It's kind of a broad one. Six, and then uh, and then and then that's it. And there's a big list of knowledge, skills, and traits. Are there any of those that you wish like <laughs> weren't in the job description?
3: <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, you know, it's 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 a big, big, important envelope or umbrella, and uh, a lot of those things. I mean, so. Like, you get bogged down with, like, retail. Retail is uh, certainly unique in settings. Like, obviously, Sweden's Go Retail is pretty on brand with the experience. So, like, but at, at most places, I mean, you want to promote your brand. You want to be able to have people enveloped in it. But, like, it's not the most important thing. It's the, the player developmental side and and, and, and the golf operations side, which is so important, but the golf operation side, you could say in places, again, could be stripped down pretty good too because, I mean, not every course needs a, a bag staff and not every course needs to, well, clean their carts. Uh, we don't clean our carts. I mean, like these, these forms of the operation that everything everybody assumes that are like the most important of the details that you go to all these places and they're prime and proper, but if they can't handle – that hospitality or the interaction point, Like what's the point of having a clean golf cart? If like that guy just stares at you and you sit in that cart and drive away, you know what I mean? Like those golf operations, it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. broader spectrum. So I think they're all very important in the place that you are. Uh, I had a very, uh, very, Excited conversation one night uh, at a really special place. I won't say where that was, but uh, in 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 back and forth of what the importance of of that operation was and how silly some of the things that they do are. But in some places, it's really important. You know that that there are those there's a, those few some people that still really need that interaction. So you can't really discount that. Does that make sense? You, you really still need to hit that, and it, it, there's a place in golf for it, even though I don't, we don't see it that way at our place. That's okay, but those those things are all yeah. very important things uh, uh, and just very relevant per site. I think more than anything, but uh, I mean, yeah, programming I, is I, fantastic too. I mean, it's yeah. a it's a huge portion of it.
0: No, I I think it was it was. Uh... It took us back about like how long and how many, and it's a sample. I don't want to like you know say the PGA is ridiculous for this four-page right. job description that they listed yeah. out, but I'm sure I'm sure it's meant to you know take a sampling of different sections. But I think it just is there. What's not on on here in those categories, right? We could go into specifics because there's all these bullet points, but what, what's not on there that you have always made a part of your job, like? Uh, I, I think it's a very powerful statement of like the where I am is the best place, and I'm gonna make yeah. sure it's the best place it possibly can be. Mm-hmm. What, what were some things that like you never had on a job description, but you always made sure were a focus of of what you do
3: um I mean, you know it was just the interaction. it was just the interactions the 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 subtle hellos when you weren't expecting it, the check-ins, if you will, right? I mean, I always try to check in with my people um to say hi, hey, I miss you. Like where you at? Like come over to the club. Let's go play golf. All this stuff, right? Those are those are the relationships. It's a relationship at the end of the day. And like at Sweetens, mine is a slightly different. We do, you know, quote unquote, have some uh, friends of the program that we see more often than others. But uh, on a, on, a, on a daily basis, we're seeing new people. But it's so it's important to say hi or thank you in the DM portion of it pretty much the most important aspect to me because I, I get the most interactions that way I I'm the quickest response everybody tries to call me or text me <laughs> well, sorry but uh, you know the DM <laughs> that's 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 part of it the social media for this place is super important the other categories are the other way that that place responded and that's how you communicate and, and check in on those spots. But th- th- those things are like, I think the the most important things that I've always tried to do. And then whatever I'm doing in that, you always try to do it above and beyond, like go an extra step, like, you know uh, you know, you don't have a yardage book, make a yardage book. If you don't have like for, for certain events, like, you know, if we, if we're going to do uh, a, an event, why wouldn't we just, uh, why would we stop at, you know, just the little uh, the little small like which is everybody's going to get a tea gift. Like, why don't you go above and beyond and create a little collection of cups that everybody gets for forever and and flags that are there and all the little tiny minutiae details that come into this stuff. So you always try to just make it more and more, which is uh, also becomes extremely hard because uh, you can only do so much. But that those are the things that I always tried to do is heighten the experience and and communicate the uh, just the the subtle hellos and and, and check ins with with all of our people just so that everybody just feels the love. I mean, we have a number of different people involved in this and 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 you got public people that want to come here and sharing their little post on a DM or just liking what they suggest and maybe teasing them a little bit before they get here is, is all part of the deal. So it's just, it's just paying attention in those sets and email is probably not my best category, (laughs) but I mean, I think it's the, the, the least important piece. I mean, at the end of the day, because you don't get this, like, it's hard to put this in an email. (laughs) Right.
0: That's where we, yeah, exactly. We, we, um, have been always like you, you know, our creation as new club started 2017. Mark and I got things going. 2018 was our first spring meeting with you guys. And, and yep. uh, you know, the rest is history as they say, but if I, it, it, there's, there's only like you guys are in a, a category with like the new golf club of St. Andrews that are truly a deep inspiration for what we've tried to create. And we've learned from you, from you and lessons of, you know, what matters. And I think when you, it's not just what you do that matters; it's what you don't do, and and I really uh, uh, have respected. And Kevin brought this up. Um, he's not man enough to say it to your face, so I'll say it for him. Uh, but <laughs> the professor brought up the, <laughs> the professor <laughs> brought up the fact that uh, that you're not afraid to tell people no, you know. And, yeah. and Kevin respects the heck out of that. He knows that when he's at his other club that were named Nameless, a lot of times the, the po- folks that are responsible for the experience are really afraid to say no. They're really mm-hmm. not. They don't feel empowered. They they don't want to let you down. And and uh, Kevin will say things and ask for things, and you will have no problem telling your membership or, or guests, uh, no, because you, you know the greater good. You know what yeah. is within the boundaries of uh, uh, providing the best experience. I mean, how much of that has Ch- change for you? Did you have to like grow into that? Because for me, I think it's a very confident place to be, in, in in a belief that not everyone has. Did you always have that? Did you have to like develop it? Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
3: So I would suggest uh, I'm I'm the black sheep of the PGA in that category because you know it's 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 different in circumstances, but no is not a classification of a. Uh, an answer to be given in a, in a private setting generally, because uh, you can't, uh but you should in some forms and fashion because it's, it's for the greater good. It's for the integrity of the club. Um And, but some people when they pay a lot of money don't like to be said or told no. And, and I get it, but like, uh you know, I have to sit there. I've got this teeter uh totter of, of maybe a little bit of membership, maybe, um, you know, a high end, Area person uh, that uh, is is one of our owners, and then you know our general public, which is uh, a fantastic, and they're all giving us money and they're all giving us information. And sometimes you have to say no, and there are certain cases where certain people have said we don't say no, but the answer is we have to because if we don't, then it just becomes a normal golf experience. Um, to that. It, it, to, to, to that effect. And, and that's where it kind of loses its luster. And not that no is like, you know, a thing, it, it, it depends on what no is. Right. Um, and you want to take care of everybody, but we always suggest that our friends of the program, you know, have to be present if they're going to bring a guest and Hey, can you get my buddy on? The answer is no, I can't, if you're not going to be there with them. And, and it's stuff like that. Hey, I've got a single you know, we've got nine guys, we got a single, can he, can we just show up? And the answer is no, because we do 45 people, right? So if I allow 46, then I'd have to allow 47, or 48, 49. And like, I can't, can't say no, but the, the answer is for your benefit and your enjoyment. And so no doesn't sound as bad when you explain it that way. Does that make sense? And, and I think uh, that's, yeah. uh, I've, yeah. I've always had a version of that, and sometimes it's frowned upon in other occasions, but uh, here, it makes the most sense, because I'm, it's, I'm in the general good for everybody at the end of the day. Generality of just, yeah. you know, making sure the right thing's done. Sometimes it's tell Rob now. Yeah, you, you get- <laughs>
0: I've heard you do that too, which, uh, you know, he's such a sweetheart. I don't know. I could never tell that guy no. How can you tell Ralph
3: Collins no? I usually laugh after (laughs) I say it. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I
0: was just kidding. I was just kidding. But maybe. (laughs) And it's not, no, it's not. And it's not because he's like one of those owners. It's because he's just such a sweetheart of a guy.
3: He's like, Uh, and I say this not that uh, he. Uh needs it, but like he's genuinely one of my favorite people on the planet. And that's another subject, but that he is just good people. He deserves everything that he's gotten.
2: Not that no joke.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's stack rank humans on the planet. We got Rob Collins. Yeah. We got a distant, you know, maybe Barack Obama's top five, perhaps, <laughs> maybe Condoleezza, maybe uh uh Mother Teresa, but Rob is definitely top, top three. <laughs>
3: Way up there, Rob's in the good well, place, and, and he's, yeah. he's, in and the good he's place. six foot six, so like he's way up there anyway. That helps. You guys yeah. are all six foot six. That's right. <laughs> we went down Mark to the is PGA Chinese. show, what? and uh, oh. we went down to the PGA show, and it was me, Chico, and Rob, and I was the shortest oh, one, and I'm gosh. not, I'm not a short human. <laughs> You're not a short human. No, that's not.
0: I know people yeah. make people make some jokes. I don't know if this is PC or not, but people make some jokes about the Sweetens Mafia. Watching you three walk around the PGA show, <laughs> it was kind of like like Don Corleone's like hitmen. You know, just walking yeah. around. The- it's like who are those three? Jeez, don't mess with them.
3: Yeah, it was classic. Uh, so much fun.
0: Uh, I mean, so so Sweetens is so unique. Matt, uh, I, I, there's so many places to ask you about, but like I want to ask about membership and mm-hmm. um, how it's a unique approach to a membership concept. And I, and I I don't know the best way to ask this question, but I'll I'll just go with you know your relationship with members because yeah. I imagine versus other clubs that you've been at, your relationship with members is very different at Sweeten's Cove. Do you, would you agree with that?
3: We don't have a membership. Exactly. <laughs> but if we did uh yeah no it's it's a hundred percent we do have a select uh, a, a few people like uh that uh, we've've kind of that have been with us for a long time they all kind of uh, think the same way they're all like-minded people and then when we see people taking care of the place and enjoying the place and being a part of the place more often you know sometimes uh, they get an ask too so that uh, it's never a a finished thing but there's definitely a, a step process in that and the interactions with these guys are i mean hopefully that we're all like best friends i mean because we're all just here to enjoy this place that much more and that's that's literally it that's the job as a member be an ambassador to this place uh enjoy enjoy this place and and and, and take care of it so that uh more people get to see it and uh it can enjoy it too as well so the the interaction is kind of is the same and different. I don't have to tiptoe around it. They kind of just need to know what to do and yeah, so that they can enjoy it with uh, their friends too and that's the whole point. It's 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 evolved. I mean, even since 2014 at the end of 2014 with Patrick and and everybody till till now is so uniquely different and people got to understand that and it's just it's not the same place that it was, but it's, it's, it's Not a bad thing either. So it's just, it's a different approach.
2: I mean, the thing that resonates with me most about that is that you have a true north and everyone's going to have different personalities. Everyone's going to have different approaches and opinions about how to solve the same problem. And as long as you're trying to solve the same problem, you're in a good spot. And, and, and then you can make something special happen. And then when, you know, the staff and the folks that own it and the members are all working together toward that same North, despite the mm-hmm. fact that everyone's kind of doing something a little bit different, that's okay. Yeah. Cause that's going to lead to creativity, new ideas, just great new things, as you mentioned, and yeah. how it's evolved over the years. It's, it, that that's really special. And, you know, we and, and that's to echo Matt, I mean, that's where we're taking a lot of those lessons with New Club as well. And, and, mm-hmm. and if, Gulf did a lot more of that, you know, we're going to continue to make a big impact overall. 100%.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think those, those, and even just, you know, the ambassadors, the people that support Sweetens, there's so many stakeholders that care about yeah. the place. And I, I I, think your position, Matt, as general manager of Sweetens Cove to them is so different than the position I see of other general managers and their stakeholders, their memberships, their committees, their board, mm-hmm. and you know, a little bit of that is like the empowerment. And and and, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, like I don't know if anyone, you know, I know when you were hired, you told me a couple of stories about Rob sitting yeah. you down and kind of just talking about the job. Like, I imagine there wasn't a job description like the one I'm reading off on tj.org. No. So, can you tell us a little about like the the empowerment that you you feel, but also the responsibility, the the what, what was that like that that initial okay we got we got a structure we got to put something around this to make this really good thing go mm-hmm. and, and go well. T- tell us about the, the formation of that.
3: Well, I mean <laughs> we uh, when I did my my interview basically at the end of the day, we kind of talked about like a golf ambassador uh, of the property and like to have somebody come in to show these people a good time to make sure they're taken care of and try to, you know, continue to grow upon uh, this golf experience um, and, and have it not stop. And there was kind of like some direction a little bit, cause we had some uh, new influencers uh, as far as uh, uh, owners go and stuff. And, and the direction has Kinda been the same as the whole entirety of the plan was was to start with uh, uh, taking care of the people. <laughs> golf course is going to speak for itself. So like we've got some great superintendents and maintenance workers that that take care of the golf course, and my my job is to go around and kind of enhance those spots in, in in places where I think can be enhanced. You can go, babe. I'm sitting in a camper. P.S. If you were under where I was. Um, but on the uh road or is this yeah. the, is this just your your remote well, office? <laughs> I may uh be homeless at this point in time. Um <laughs> we sold our house. We have no point. Oh yeah, it's so right. you camper. actually yeah. it's just like a real thing. <laughs> we'll call this the homeless shelter. Um things are going great. We're we're, going going great. <laughs> we're having a lot of fun here. <laughs> we love our camper. But, uh, no, I mean, the the, the whole point was uh, pointing in this true north direction of, like, uh, hospitality and taking care of people. Like, I went around on my interview. The, my interview, this is funny. I'll get to tell this story. Rob will get a kick out of this, too. Uh, it, so, I show up for this interview, and I had no idea what to wear, okay? Um, and, and I've only come to interviews in, 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 a, in a coat and a tie, and Nash was the GM at the time. And Nash was like, dude, you're not wearing a coat and tie, I'm like. It's kind of like this is like a thing. PGA professional I need to wear a coat and tie. Here's part of that part that we're talking about that's kind of irrelevant at this point in time. But uh, so coat and tie, not not a thing. So I wore. I came out of the bathroom in in in, in pants and a uh, and a button down. He goes, "What the hell are you wearing?" I'm. Like, I don't know. It's kind of all I have. He's like, "Do you have shorts?" I'm like, "No, I don't own shorts." And I'm a PGA professional. I don't own shorts. Uh, that's a real thing except for maybe a pair of cargos that i you know mow the lawn in and that was kind of the thing and um i can't wear (laughs) cargos that's weird so nash gives me a pair of his shorts and i put on a polo he's like here's the deal rob's gonna show up he's gonna be in a t-shirt board shorts a red t-shirt specifically board shorts black puma uh, shoes and and a hat of some sort probably sweets and uh And that's that's what's going to happen. You guys go around the golf course and see if you like it and then kind of figure it out from there. So I'm like, okay. so I get there. I get there early. Same. Exactly what happens is black Audi flies in out of nowhere. He gets out red shirt, board shorts, black shoes and a hat. And he's like, hey, Rob Collins. I'm like, I'm Matt Damski. And uh, I said, here's my resume. And he folds it up and puts it in his back pocket. He's like, all right, let's go on the golf course. I'm like, okay. And we went around the golf course and said hi to people and shook hands and asked people where they were from and thanked him for coming. He's like, this is what I want. And I'm like, he's like, what do you think? I'm like, "I I love it. So we stopped in and there was a, a gentleman, uh, a Tyler, had just gotten a hole in one a few like loops back. And uh we caught up to him and congratulated him. We were on right in front of Sevens Green. And we stop in and say hi and 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 we asked him to recant the story and blah, blah, blah. And Rob's like, man, that was so cool. All right, see you later. And he jumps in the cart and leaves. And I'm sitting there, standing there with these guys, and he's like, Is this an interview? I'm like, Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how this is going. You just left me. He was my ride, so I'm not really sure what's going on here. And uh, (laughs) so Rob comes back. He's like, Oh man, I forgot you. And that, but like the whole point was just taking care of people and his genuine excitement to take care of people. He is that, that's, that's the focus of this place. And once you're here, no matter what the uh, trials and tribulations were to get here and how aggravating it could have been not to get a pass and maybe to get a pass, maybe only get half of a pass, whatever. And you get here and everything's washed away because hopefully it's, it's that good. So that's kind of like what we try to do and the direction that he's always suggested it be. It's always about the customer and like, you know, if we screw something up, I'll make it right. I'm not opposed to saying sorry. I'm not opposed to saying I screwed up in any form or fashion. And that's hard for people too. And that's, there's the genuineness, right? I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I screwed up here. I'm going to take care of this, you know, whatever I need to do. Yeah. And that's what we do and to, to heighten that experience. And you know, it's hard to get in front of somebody other than a worker bee, if you will, um, at say like a Pinehurst, you know what I mean? Like the director of golf, like may not be running around Pinehurst doing the same thing. You got, you know, Ben, the starter or Ben, the ranger or your interaction with a caddy. And those are the people you see, right? You don't generally see the person that's running the place, so it's a very unique.
0: Yeah.
3: You know, it's a very unique, so, unique and position. And it's,
0: yeah. You're, you're, yeah, it's why it, it's why it feels so different being there as a golfer, and I always love watching. You know, my first time was that 2018 year, so um, I, I just remember my mind breaking a little bit you know the course has so much yeah. to do with it right and the sure. enjoyment of that but then when i start to like step outside my normal rhythms of how you approach a a you know bucket list experience which sweetens is and and i just realized like you can do what feels right here and it's okay. And look at these other people that are, are you want to play six? Come on, let's play. Hey, yeah. nice to meet you. Where are you from? And I I just like my mind meld. And now one of my joys in our spring meeting every year is to watch all these new members from uh, all around the, the world now. We've had some people join us from from overseas and and just watching their minds meld as this experience unfolds before them. What is your, and, and I, how do you approach new visitors? Like- it's i know there's like the the traditions and stuff but can you tell yeah. us a little bit about like how you cuz cuz some people hold on stronger to their uh uh beliefs, beliefs or or what yeah. what golf is mm-hmm. more than others but how do you approach a new a new person for the first time at sweets
3: so we, we kind of pull in and we have a lot of fun with people just in general. And uh, we just kind of watch this this whole thing develop every single morning and people just genuinely excited and really have no clue. If they read the email, they'll know that we'll kind of gather around 845 and there'll be a little speech that some people dislike and other people uh, absolutely love because it's a discord or you know, disruptive from the normal experience. But once you just take it all in and understand that it's not always about you and it's about the first timers or somebody that's never been here before and our repeat offenders are going to know the situation and it's a, yeah, it's like, let's go play golf. But like, that's the whole point. It's like inclusive. It's not always about that. So we just kind of, we kind of break people down at first for, they want to go check in real quick. Then we'd be on time. They got to, they got to, they got to rush. And I'm like, yo. This is an all day pass here at Sweetens Cove. And my first question always is in the beginning of this little speech is how many people have played 36 holes in a day before anywhere and 25% or under raise their hand. And I'm like, you guys signed up for an all day pass. Like this is crazy. Everybody wants to play fast golf. Everyone was blah, blah, blah. But like, that's not a thing. Time stands still here at Sweetens, and you need to understand that you get a bring the people that you brought, enjoy them uh, come as you are and, and play with who you, the people you brought and, and just enjoy the day. You want to, you want to dress in a Kobe Jersey, go for it. You want to, it doesn't matter. Like none of that stuff matters. You want to play an eight some go for it. But like, we kind of break them down because they're so used to the check-in and like being prompt. And we are that pretentiousness that is golf is not found here. And we're going to let you know real quick, just to, calm the horses, uh, you know, pull the reins a little bit and, we're all going to get out there, we're all going to have fun, and we're going to enjoy the day, and you're going to play as much golf as you really want to. And uh, and that's that's what it's about. So it's like they kind of, you got to break people a little bit in the experience so that they can uh, love it uh, that much more, or just understand it so that they don't get frustrated with it because they might run into that bigger group, and they need to know how to navigate it because we don't have a ranger out there <laughs> never will. You're not going to call up the golf shop and be like, <laughs> Hey there's a slow group on 7. The answer is neat. <laughs> go around them. Go to that next hole because that's you're going to play. That's it. You know what I mean? But like I, that's I, it. So we just kind of like yeah. watch it unfold every single morning and have fun with it and uh and then then they kind of get it after that. We do a shot of whiskey uh and then they go play golf all day. And then we go check up on them, make sure everything's, uh, uh, going all right. And, uh, make sure that they're having fun. I mean, my first question is, you know, you guys having fun? Yeah. I mean, that's like not how are you shooting? What's the score? What'd you get? What'd you guys shoot on the first night? Who cares? Like it's see relevant. Like, are you having fun? There's are you a, hitting golf shots that you've never hit before? Like this is, this is the most important thing. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, uh, it's such a refreshing approach. Um, what one of the, the phenomenons I also see unfold is after the the mind is broken and it starts to rebuild throughout the day. And like you said, an all day pass, it it's that fire pit at the end of the day becomes a like yeah. uh the epicenter of innovation. Like right. I can't tell you how many visits it sweetens I've I've sat around and heard what if after what if. Like, all right, what if. What if we played 3 irons only and you're on the back of 3 green but you're going to 5. I'm like yeah. it's just and these are people that that you know 12 hours earlier were probably like a little bit what's going on? What's what's where where's my tee time? Where am I starting? And and I was one of those people, you know. So it's yeah. it's really interesting. It's so interesting, man. Sure.
3: That's a th- that's the fun part and I've watched some people just be absolutely miserable and just kind of look at their watch and they're like is this guy gonna shut up yet and i just kind of sometimes i go longer because i see that because i just need them <laughs> to know that this is what's uh, this is the most important thing of the day and then it was like uh that's it but i've had a couple people that just look like they were gonna pull their hair out this one lady and, and john rife uh one of our, our, our guys, um, the director of fun as he likes to be called. He <laughs> John's great. Yeah. And uh what's John's dog's name?
0: John's, John's dog's, dog's name well? is
3: Finnegan. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Finnegan. Yeah.
3: Finnegan. Finnegan's two year old terror. It's uh I mean he's just two years old, but a big big boy. Um but uh this lady like literally wanted nothing to do with this. Nothing in the morning. And she came back in the evening and was like, This is the coolest thing ever she's like you know i wanted to slap that guy in the face in the morning she told us to john he's like but at the end of the day it's 100 percent right it was it was fantastic and like that we that needs to be done more so it's fun you know, like she was not used to that environment whatsoever and she she ended up i mean she even wrote us a letter uh it's been it, that's neat to get that later it's like you know it was just so different and um and, and 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 we enjoyed it so much. Uh, once we kind of settled in, does that make sense? Yeah, it's yeah. just it's pretty neat.
0: Yeah, there. Um, I want to go back to something you said about like, because uh, because there's been this true north. You guys have always had this um, focus on people and experience, and uh, you know, breaking down some of the the structures in golf that that are mm-hmm. worse. They're they're there, right? And and yeah. Uh, Uh, but you weren't afraid to make mistakes. And this is one of the lessons that, you know, Mark and I talk a lot, a a lot about where in order to get better and make improvements at the Cove, you tried new things, man. Um, look no further than your events. Like you're putting together some of the coolest events in golf from formats to, uh, the merch of it, the themes of it. Like I could, I could, we could do a whole pot on your events. Um, but, uh, other areas that you've made mistakes. I, I'd love to hear, like, um, you know, some some of those lessons, if you will, just from a, a fellow, you know, creator entrepreneur. Like, what are some of the lessons you've learned from when things didn't go well? Because I think that reveals a lot of character about sure. who's who's uh, involved at Sweetens. Is like the way that you guys have have handled um, um, when things maybe didn't go as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, take for our past releases. Pass releases have been uh, a, a ever-evolving thing, and we have got to a little bit better spot today. I don't want to say that this is the end of what we're going to do for passes. We're always going to evolve, but try to do the right thing. I mean – when we did it uh, originally, it was tea times, and that was a bad experience, right? So we evolved into the passes. The passes were on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and that really worked. And then we did tea times because that's a thing, and we couldn't fill up the weekdays anyway. So we tried that, and that turned into a disaster. It turned into what Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays were, which was like 20 to 30 people waiting on an entirely full golf course to get back onto a golf course. And when you came in, you're supposed to be playing whatever, quote-unquote, 18 holes, and you come in and there's people just in a line and I had to apologize. I'm like, look, you no, know, that was the part that originally we don't say no. Cause one, we needed the money. And, but then when we were getting the money, it's like, this is a terrible thing. So I'd give out, you know, gift certificates like, Hey, you know, basically say, sorry, this sucked. <laughs> Come back and see us. I and mean, it was literally what I <laughs> typed in there. And, and, you know, so that to, to get them kind of to laugh a little bit and to, to realize like, Hey, we're, we're here. I apologize. I was giving out free beer. I mean, like whatever I could do to try to like say, oopsie and, and, and apologize and we'll get you back out here. And then, then we went to an all pass thing and that that sold out so quickly and, but it was a, a shitty experience because at the end of the day, there was the, the pinwheel of death and not a lot of people could get it. And it's like, you know, you, you have to apologize um, and say, we're going to try to do better, uh, but, you know, and, and try to do it a different way. And then we did it a different way uh, the next year, which was th- this year we did a, this little pass wave. I think it did a little bit better, especially with the lodging bit, but still some people are unhappy. You can't please everybody, but we're always trying. Um, so like, you know, you're always trying hard and sometimes you try so hard, you, you're unaware of things, um, you know, not that you meant to do anything, um, that offended anybody, but, uh, or, or just in, in general, just reworking a system that, uh, we don't exactly know what the, what the, the end result's going to look like, like this past system. Right. I mean, we're still not done with it. It's, uh, we'll always try to do the right thing you know, and and rework
0: it. I think that's such a a true point of why golf is one of the leaders in that's the way it's always been done industry. Um, You know, you guys have have not been afraid to fail. You've not been afraid to make mistakes. You've you've also, and this is huge, I think, uh, and Kevin and I talked about this earlier, and this is a, a conviction I have, is you have to be willing to, Either cut some costs and lose some revenue, one and the same. Sometimes, when you're innovating, when you're trying to come up with a better experience, and when I when I heard about how you sat down and looked at that whole uh, uh, past process, I mean, you're talking about the livelihood of the of the the business and Sweeten's Cove, and you guys were like, you know what, the money is is important, of course, but uh-huh. we got to focus in on the experience. And every other club, Matt, and and I've I've been in you know board meetings on committees. Every other club goes the opposite direction. They start with the dollars and mm-hmm. the costs, and how do we, you know, uh, uh, affect the? How does this impact the revenue and membership dues and blah 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 blah? Yeah. And then then they say, well, the experience will be fine because we're going to do X Y Z for them now, and and you head pro will will make sure that you know Sally is, is taking care of there. And it's like, no, whoa whoa whoa! That's where the conversation yeah. should always start, right? Yeah, and that's where I had so much respect for you guys, where. Um, I, you really, I thought, handled that pass. That's a great example because you handled so, so, so well uh, uh, with messaging, and, and um, I know, I know the patrons or uh, shout out Fred Ridley, the, the customers, the, the the visitors of Sweetens Cove really appreciate that approach.
3: Yeah, and that's and we appreciate that. I mean, that's that's the whole point is to understand what the end goal is. It's t- at the end of the day, we're not trying to get as many people as we can through these doors. Now, do we want a lot of people to come see this place? Of course. But if we do that, then it ruins the experience. And then it's so that's part of that. No bit like you got to say there too much is too much. And then you got to figure out how to make it better. So the answer is, well, we got to do this past program, which it hurts us because so many people got upset. I mean, specifically, you want to talk numbers for a second. I'm a numbers person. 2022. Uh, We did the pass release, and 10,235 unique individuals were on this website at one singular time in 45 minutes, okay, Uh, of which um, there were 6,405 passes available that 774 unique individuals were able to capture. That is a 7.35% success rate, and there's a lot of no there. And that sucks. So you you got to watch out because, like, we're trying to do the right thing. We want We're all based on the experience. And then you're, like, telling basically 97% of the people that are trying to get to you, you can't get here. And they don't understand that because that's not a thing in golf, right? Pinehurst, we, you and I can call, up, we can call up right now and we'll get out somewhere in Pinehurst, right? It, it, at Pinehurst Resort specifically. You know what I mean? um it's just that's not a thing in golf you can go get a tee time you're like what do you mean i'm a single like why can't you take me and and that could be an off put right so we got to make it that much more heightened of an experience when you get here so that 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 uh excitement and the want to get here still remains is that you know Yeah,
2: you and taylor swift
3: have the same problems <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, somebody I've, said that's like
0: a I've long said that mark <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah so there was a nice uh there was a nice email i got just recently and it had something to do with taylor swift and a compliance officer was it of from sort. taylor swift no i wish <laughs> was she, was I she to get Maybe
2: so she's like what is going on well, like, she was whipping man, around a I golf got
3: club Tickets to my show yeah,
0: yeah I, I saw that she had a did golf, you see that she had a golf, had a golf,
3: golf club in her hands I, I mean she's she's excited maybe just get it out of sweden's maybe that's what she needs it's
2: so funny too because you know, when I think of Sweetens, it's it's just unique in itself. I mean, I, I think there's the macro and the micro sort of like, you know, new creative ideas that, that we need to employ. And Sweetens itself is unique in golf. Just just yeah. it existing by itself and you just doing your thing is overall completely different in the entire golf industry and now now we're talking about okay so within sweetens what can what can you do that's unique in there and it's yeah. you know we, we shouldn't forget that just existing is so yeah, important in, right. in, in 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 this golf industry and yeah. um so you know it's uh, th- that that's why i think that there's you, you see a lot of uh of, of these folks around here trying to do not the same thing, but also unique things Aversion. in golf because
3: the golf industry is ripe for it. We need it. Yeah. I would say, and, and, and just to go off that unique, unique, and I tell this to everybody too, I'm like, when I try to, somebody says like, define sweetens for me. And like unique by definition defines the experience. But it is more than that because I believe that this place is an anomaly in golf. I mean, there's no reason why this should be, be in existence. I mean, honestly, for, from a lot of different reasons, uh, financially, originally <laughs> the means uh, of no advertising and marketing, <laughs> the means of, uh, just Patrick, just, you know, cold calling people like to make it the experience that it is and just get people here. Like this place is an anomaly in golf. Like it's finally the good guy one story, you know, talk about Rob Collins and, and Tad, those guys, they finally, you know, they get, what they deserve. they finally they stuck it out, they lost a ton of money, <laughs> and the neat thing is, is it's still here for other people to to enjoy, and um, and that's that's crazy. I don't think
0: anybody do yeah. Well, I, on on that note of of Mark, you're so right to remind us that that it exists is <laughs> it's, it's in itself like you know praise God above. Um, why, why do you think after all these years of success, there isn't more, Matt? I think I think there are new ideas and there's things, but wouldn't you think that there'd be places that see you guys and, and replicate it? Uh, why, what, what do you think on that?
3: Um, I think it's hard to, you, this place, there are versions of it coming. Let's put it that way real quick. Uh, yeah. But it's really hard to make the jump Uh, you either, you you can't just stick your toe in the water. You either be all in or all out and you got to have a golf course. that's going to back it up one, right. And then a person that's, uh, you know, going to, to, to be there to, to have the passion to keep it and sustain it and to try to get it to go forward. And there's no days off in that, unfortunately. Um, and, and you have to, you have to own it and, you have to evolve and all the above, but, uh, there will be places. I mean, you talk about like, you know, I start to see it cause I can see people following and I watch their stuff and it's ever evolving. There was a, a, a gentleman that's, um, uh, you know, uh, higher up in the industry that, uh, um, runs a really large place. And he said, you know, I'm not trying to say that, uh, I don't watch your social media, but I do watch your social media and the storytelling and how it's done and the organicness of it. And now we are copying that in our version of it, but it's because of inspiration from what has happened here that we're developing a story around that. Right. And now you can see the people and the storytelling and a little bit more of whatever, if it's history or something to that effect so that you're familiar and it's not so foreign when you go there. So the, that you can enjoy it better, and, and that's that's a compliment. They won't necessarily go to maybe a pass structure or anything like that, but I think that's gonna be a thing as soon as we can batten down the hatches on an actual registration platform that will, will work, because like I said, I mean, we're not done with that. I hope that evolves, and once that's a thing that can be blueprinted, it's gonna be easier for somebody to try it out and, and have success with it. Uh, but other than that, it's a very difficult thing to, to keep, uh, moving forward when you have to do all the background, uh, stuff to it. And it's just too hard for uh, a few people that, uh, you just got to spend too much time on it. So it's, you have to really own it, but it's, it's coming, I think. And I think it's a, it's a neat path, uh, that, that could be super interesting uh, for golf and, um, help help a lot of other smaller places even uh, thrive because it's I, different. Yeah. Uh,
0: part yeah, that's part of my um, question was to get to the more of you in golf, Matt, like more Matt Adamski's in golf sure. that uh, have, you know, committed to that experiential golf uh, uh, creation and, um, that's I personally. That's, I'd love to to see that. I I I think you're such a rarity when when we talk talk to you and um, you have just this this pedigree and this background of you know the the constructs of the PGA and, and that's what we talked a lot about on the front side of the show. But but you you, you now have this incredible experience with Sweden that I think shows I hope shows the PGA profession there is another way. Mm-hmm. And, and I hope that the people that are involved with more clubs and courses and projects, they start to see that and they start to tell Pete, like a young Matt Adamsky who's coming out of Ferris State now, I hope that they're starting to tell people like, hey, see what this guy did with Sweetens Cove? That's what we want for you. Take him in the Carter round like Rob yeah. did with you. I, I hope that happens, man.
3: I, I appreciate that. And like, you know, at the end of the day too, like it, you know, we're a big technology people and it's the next new thing in golf. Right. And you can see, uh, it's always the next thing. It's like numbers. It's like all this information. You're going to sit down at at a, at a, at a SIM bar now and stuff, which is awesome. And like, you, you look at the numbers and there's more people involved in golf than there ever has been. And actually this year, the numbers show that more, uh, people are off the green grass area and involved in more, you know, enclosed uh, sim bar structures and that stuff. But, like, this is a place that has one without anything. I mean, it's got a shed. <laughs> it really has no food, you know, which we're going to change this year. You, you order Domino's, like, you know, nothing. Yeah, and we're going to have a food truck this year. We bought a food truck. It's going to be awesome. But um, breaking, breaking, breaking. Yeah, now, breaking news. Wow. There'll be a food truck <laughs> at Sweden's now, hopefully, in the next like three weeks, uh, that'll be operational. But like all this stuff that defines and defies what golf should be. But then they're enjoying the golf course, they're enjoying the circumstances, they're enjoying just playing. and And that is growing the game of golf. Uh, with as little as you can not having this super high-end stuff that it becomes really high and hard for other people to enjoy. And and now it's a little harder for people to enjoy us just because of the, the amount of people trying to get here. So it'd be awesome if other places could, you know, do stuff like this so that they they, they don't need all the frills. You gotta take that 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 new golfer and and be able to have them fit in and make their feelings like, okay, I could do this. This would be all right. And that's, that's, that's the, that's the whole thing. That's the hospitality version of that's the, taking that pretentiousness away. And it's like, okay, I could go do this and then they get excited about golf. And then maybe they go back to their home club and they join a country club because they enjoyed golf so much more that specific day. You know, it's that's what growing the game to me looks like outside of programming and all that other uh, stuff that you would consider a normal PGA professional the It's it's the same thing. You're still doing something to invoke excitement to play golf. And
2: uh, you know, in my mind, one of the, one of the things uh, when when I hear growing the game, I just there's so many. Everyone has a different like view of that. Sure. sort of phrase and it's been marketed and it's been, but what, you know, honestly what I, I think it is, it's just go play. And, yeah. and uh, the, you know, one of the things is that I, I want to ask you is, is in that, in that interest of just go play, I mean, we're, we're coming to, we're coming to Sweetens as a club mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just kind of excited to ask you about what we're going to expect. I don't know if Matt, you want to go into this just now, but you know, what, wh- what what is the club going to expect? And you know, like, look, we're going to go play. We're going to go, we're going to go, you're invited to go play. You remember a new club, come play. What, 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 what should we expect? I, I'm really excited to figure out how, what the experience is going to be. I want to talk about the formats, Matt. Let's go, let's share that.
0: Well, Adamski, I can, I, in in my words, uh, I put it all down on paper. But we we've learned so as I as I said, we've learned some things, right? We learned yeah. that when you visit Sweeten's Cove as a club, uh, Sweeten's Cove is that could be a logo. We, yeah. There's some yeah. creativity for St. um When you yeah. <laughs> when you visit Sweeten's Cove as a club, uh, you do not impose yourself. You you. Uh, lead way to the experience of Sweetens because it is so unique and powerful. So I think we've realized that. So the one thing is there's a shitload of free time to enjoy Sweetens the way it's intended to be played. Uh, so that's one. But we we also, as a club, we want to crown some champions. So Matt, you were heavily involved in the uh, formats for this year, a lot of which have been educated from uh, your uh, events at Sweden. I – I'll, I'll run through it as quickly as I can. So we're just doing three, um, sorry, two nine-hole formats and a 10-hole format, uh, followed by team knockout, three-hole knockout uh, finale to have a winner of the spring meeting. And people have been asking for this format for a long time, Matt, so this will be the first time they hear about you it, the, the two days before we all get in the car and arrive, so uh, more breaking news. Um the first, the first nine holes, normal routing. You'll be playing your own ball alongside your team of six. So teams of six, Matt has helped us get to that number. Six is a good number <laughs> for the team. Uh, if you go to the blue pin, Stableford points are worth 1x. one, one X. If you go to the white pin, Stableford points are 2x. So this we're, we're, I think this is our first time doing the split pins with different points, mm-hmm. uh, which I know is a, a uh, cool thing. Uh, your team will count the best three of six scores in each hole. So it's the best three of six. Uh, any any thoughts on that, Matt, and, and what you love about that format?
3: I mean, it's fantastic because it kind of just gives everybody a shot. And it doesn't, uh, you know, score is important, but it's not like what's marked down. So it's like, you know, when you come back with a team score of like, whatever, 36 or whatever, it's like, what would you guys shoot? We shot 42 or whatever. It's uh, not what you shot. It's what the team shot. It's a team thing. It's team fun. I think it's. I think it's fantastic. Kind of leads you into the, the mantra that is, you know, Sweden scale like, play golf, hit shots, try to, yeah. you know, whatever you want to go to a, a certain pin. Did you, do they have to pick it out beforehand? Was that, I mean, you didn't no. say that out loud. Exactly. I, so like, that's a fun thing. It's like whatever one you hit it close to. Happy accidents. Oopsie. Yeah. It's yeah, fantastic. I,
2: how 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 diabolical will the white pin speed? Uh,
3: any uh, any clues? Oh, uh, I mean, we can make it as hard as you want, but uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> sometimes the blue pins are a little uh, could be. That's true. You know, it just it depends on what your version of hard is. <laughs> That's why we have a four yeah. pin gauge.
0: I, one of the things, even after playing it, uh, and I did the hundred old hike, so I really ratcheted up my numbers at, at Sweet even mm-hmm. after playing it all those times, I still struggle to figure out what's the easy pin and what's the hard pin. It like yeah. It's just it just depends yeah. what, what angle you're at. It depends yeah. on so many. Sure. True. Yeah. Second. That's what night, makes it so fun. that's that's fun. Fr- yeah, that's Friday afternoon. That gets us started. Um, we'll have a little golden hour after that. And then Saturday morning, um it's nine holes. It's not the Illuminati routing. It's a Illuminati routing or a cross country routing. Mm-hmm. You'll be playing your own ball along with one other teammate in a four ball format. So better ball of the pair between you and, and one of those six people on your team. Mm-hmm. Everyone will be playing to either the blue or white pin. We haven't decided yet. And the standard uh, stableford scoring will apply. Uh, and then if your team of six two of the four ball scores will count for your team. So it does kind of, I think what's cool about that one is it like, it is you and your partner out there playing with other, you know, people in, in the group, but you got to, uh, uh, you know, it's your best ball of the three other, best balls of the three other four balls. I think that one's pretty cool. hmm Thoughts to that one, Matt. Just in terms of the routing, and I mean, the routing's the star of that, obviously.
3: The routing will be fun. Um, it's it's a it's a neat routing, and it gives uh, people, uh, you know, you just kind of got indoctrinated. Those have never been with us before uh, into the golf course, and now you start to see the versatility of the golf course, right? Yeah, that you thought versatility was the pins, and now it turns out we're kind of going all these different directions and it's like, what the hell is going on here? And that's, that's another neat version of sweetens that Not a lot of people get to see. And like, if you get to play in one of our events, like you guys hosting events or, or even our events specifically, we try to always do that in that, that form, regular routing, fun routing, and then something even super, super different. So that way you see the versatility of this golf course and realize it's so much more than just nine holes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, go ahead. <laughs>
3: Uh, I was I
2: was curious. Could you maybe tease one of the one of the holes that, that we might see? I for first timers is not going to mean a lot, but anyone who's seen the course might be able to kind of visualize what one of these holes might be. Could, uh, could you describe so, one for us?
3: Well, I mean, there's a couple. I mean, like uh, probably the best par three on the golf course, right? Uh, takes you over water at this point in time, which doesn't exist on a normal routing. So there's there's a quick snippet on that. If you kind of paid attention to what was our. Uh, our par three contest at the masters like that's a really really kind of a fun neat one that you would never in a million years you might look at a green you might be on number four's green and like look over to six and be like dude that'd be cool to go over there well we do that <laughs> we do that in all forms of fashion so it's like 130-ish uh yards um and uh you kind of go over uh over the water and i mean that's kind of like one of my favorites i think a lot of people's favorites uh kind of like secret hole but there's there's other ones um that are on there that are just uh just as good you know what's uh what's another one matt that you think is uh out of that routing there that you uh kind of enjoy oh man i just went back to it
0: i mean i mean going outside of when when do you get to go outside the property lines of a golf course and play a hole that's all i'll say Right? <laughs> Damn. You yeah. know, you're going to say, no. never, hello, right. never. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's all I'll say. Maybe you're um, not even on
3: Sweden's uh, property at that point in time. You don't know. Who knows? Who, who's yeah. to say?
0: Who's, who's to, to say? say?
3: Got to come find out.
0: And yeah. and this one, Matt, so our last format, yeah. uh, before we get to the three-hole knockout, uh, the last format, I was actually, I'll be honest, I was least excited about until you shared the routing. Mm -hmm. And this is—I've never played into, I'd say, half of these holes, maybe more. um, Even in all the Illuminati's and cross-country routings I've played with with, uh, everybody, but the par 3. So, we're doing a 10-hole. Our final format is 10 holes, par 3 course. Uh, double Stableford points. So we're wrapping it up with all points, getting ratcheted up double, and everyone will be playing uh, to the same pins, and your, your team is going to count the best four of your six uh, scores. So you're back with mm-hmm. your team in this format. And I just think this is like, you know, we'll share in obviously the the prep email for everyone coming down this um, this routing, but <laughs> kudos to the routing committee, man. It, it, there are some par threes that I'm like, whoa.
3: There's some fun uh, ones. Wait, I mean, couple, how, did, how did that 90s. come to you? Tell us about that. So, like, um, I think I said it was 2020, and um, we're, like, we're going to do, uh, maybe it's 2021, I can't remember now. And uh, we we ordered, we are like, we're going to make a par-3 routing, we're going to do it for the Masters, and the, hence this is kind of, like, what we do every single Wednesday of the Masters now, is do a par-3 contest and nobody signs up for. It's just a regular day, and they show up, and this is kind of the part of breaking you down. And... And everybody's excited to play golf. I'm like, you guys are playing a par three route. And they're like, well, I want to play the real golf course because I've never played it before. And I'm like, that's not going to happen this morning. And um, But we came up with this. Yeah. So we came up with this routing. And and just to get it back, we ended up having to do 10 holes. So it was like really cool. It worked out fantastically. And um, me and Colt went out there with a the range finder and one of the assistant superintendents at the time. And we kind of we found some holes that we thought that uh, we really enjoyed and um, some different looks. And how do we get there from the next hole without it being super long? If you wanted to walk it, you could. There's only one kind of long ish walk, I think, um, in between uh, holes. And uh, we kind of we kind of made it kind of fun to the point where number four of the original routing Uh, obviously is king and it is a blind and help style hole, right? Blind shot, tee shot. Well, number four of the par three routing is also a blind tee shot randomly. Uh, It's not random. It's all done on purpose. So we just had a lot of fun (laughs) with it. And um, man, a couple of the par threes, uh, besides the water hole that I always talk about, um, two of those par threes, uh, specifically the little 97 yarders, are probably kind of my favorite because they could be diabolical at 97 yards. They're like, ooh, little 97 yard, little kind of wedge shot that you could just, you could, you could have a lot of, a lot of strokes really quick, which is a lot of fun. So, I mean, it's, it's fun. We had, we, we do what we do is just kind of imaginative and, and, and picked out something that, that got us back to the shed. And that was that
0: man uh we're the, the are we uh gosh i got so many other questions but we should wrap up you've been very kind with your time i could talk Sweetens all day um but i i do want to ask kevin gave me a list of questions i didn't ask yeah. any of them i'm sorry kevin <laughs> uh one of them though one of the we 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 hit we did hit on some of your topics though you already kind of yeah. – i didn't have to ask them cuz you were you were so insightful but how do you handle sandbaggers at Sweetens co
3: I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we don't have that option. I mean, we don't really have a slope and a rating. So we basically play gross scores everywhere. I mean, like people get pissed off about that, but we usually play like in a progressive best ball, which really kind of brings everybody back down to its senses. And like all the balls are in play on the easiest holes and the or, and, or the shortest holes, rather, which uh, is interesting and the longer holes, which the better players can, uh, you know, accelerate on like a par five. There's only one singular ball in play. So we've kind of found that direction to be the best. And, you know, it just depends. We've had all kinds of players kind of uh, win win our events. Um, we have some really good players and we had some, you know, mediocre players. Uh, and I think that's kind of the best way to handle it. We don't we don't have a slope in a rating anywhere. And that's kind of been the, the the best thing is to kind of take that firepower away from them. And, um, you know, scrambles are are pretty much in favor of the the longer hitters and potentially the better players. And that's just a disaster, too. So, uh, but, you know, just kind of getting everybody involved. And, and at the end of the day, who cares? Like, just go play golf and have fun. There's no simpler like, answer. Wins.
2: There's no simpler answer than just, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's no simpler answer than just get rid of the
0: rating. I, yeah. love, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. so true. It's genius. It's, it's genius. And, like, and by oh, the way, oh we well. will have a adjusted handicap for this spring meeting format. It's just yeah. going to be, you know, heavily, uh, uh, the handicap is handicapped. But, it's, it's out there for, for, yeah. uh, and if you, you want to do
3: formats, like no. crazy mathematics and stuff like that, you can come up for a slope and rating for some of these things. And, and when we actually do have a, a net version that is something like that, we take away, you know, 70% of that handicap. So then it kind of like dumbs everything down too, as well. And like, uh, but at the end of the day, the easiest that, thing is just to say no.
0: <laughs> if you, I don't know, I, I'm not, uh, my vocabulary struggles some days. I don't know if it's called an oxymoron or it's ironic or, or whatever, but the fact that, Kevin Moore, who has committed his life to two things, golf and math. Yeah. The fact that he is so passionate about a place called Sweeten's Cove that has no rating or, yeah. you know, he can't decipher it. And I think that is t- telling in itself that, like, talk about breaking. You you, you broke the mega brain. You broke his I brain. Guess. And I think it's what keeps him so excited about going back to Sweeten's Cove. Yeah. Just means it works. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Well – uh, Mr. Adamski, thank you so much, man. Uh, any anything else for for the group today? Uh, we really appreciate everything you do for us at New Club, and and uh, just love chatting with you every chance we get.
3: Well, I appreciate you guys. Appreciate the passion that you guys have for your people, and you know, like I always say, that uh, you know, you guys are 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 uh, a big portion of you know why we get to do stuff like what we do is is the passion that you guys have for the people that you have so it's fun
0: thanks man thank you and thank
3: you appreciate you boys
0: thank thank you sir we'll talk to you soon everybody else thanks for listening have a great week we'll see you at sweet and scope for the spring meeting